0: try tried, try tried, try tried, and i'm
1: What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to This Is The End, almost, part two. This is where we get into the Wednesday Night Wars, and we are kicking things off with the recap of AEW. And, of course, once again, joining me here on The Booch Cast, he is the AEW correspondent, talented singer-songwriter, works during the day as a groundsman, great friend of mine, great mind for wrestling, always a pleasure to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back the one, the only, Mr. Desmond Dagenhart.
0: Hey,
2: Vinny. Hey, what's up, brother? Uh, not, not much. I mean, as always, just got done playing our game of d This was cool because I got to introduce two new characters to the campaign we started already. Um, and we did this in a very special way. Uh, I already knew Vinny's character from a couple of one-shots we've done. So introducing him was really easy. Uh, the other character was a little bit more complicated, a little more complex, but the way I did it took up most of tonight's campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like,
1: it was cool because this is the first time uh, I've ever done two characters at the same time. Like, that was that was kind of interesting because I have the, uh, as most people know before, I've done the, uh, the drunken monk character, which is my favorite. I, I just, I've gotten so into that character. And then I have the bard now, so I had to kind of play both of them at the same time and... Uh, I'm still getting into the bard character. I feel like now I'm finding my groove with it. And I've just learned... I think this is the secret that I've learned to really role-playing with this game is that I just take what I know and I kind of listen for certain things and kind of play off of that. Like, I know my uh, my character's a drow... My, the monk's a drow elf who hates his own people. So when I found out that... The guy that was fighting in the ring that lost was a draw off. I'm like, okay, I can play with that, and that's why I came in with what, with, with that's why I came in and was like, yeah, it's nice to see that guy get his ass kicked. Like I thought that was fun. Then I came up. Then when I found out that the, that uh, the new that the uh, that yeah, the, the can't remember the guy's name. I'm terrible at names. Who was that? Uh, the guy that was playing the fighter.
2: Oh, the Cirque. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, uh the uh, Centaur.
1: Yeah. What about him? Yeah. Like I was trying to remember his name. Oh, Ari. All right, yeah, like he um, he came in and was, um, you know, he, I found out his character was also an entertainer. So I'm like, oh, Bard's an entertainer. So I kind of played off of that, and then threw in a gallivant reference. I was really having fun with the role playing this time. Yeah,
2: that's the that's the key thing about D and D that nobody wants to be. It's, like, it's about playing a character, just like in pro wrestling. You take a part of yourself, you put it into this character, and you play off of it. You exaggerate it. You have some fun. certain my uh, my uh, my character is a rogue. of. And he's a smooth talker. His points are in charisma, but and but he's also in points and dexterity with stealth. His entire thing is playing uh, de- dece- deception and pl- and uh, and thievery. And he is so fun to play, so smooth, and he will talk his way out of everything. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it was great. It was so much fun to play. So I was like I said, it was it was hard to go
1: back and forth between the two, but once I got into a groove, I feel like I can. I think like I'm going to do well with this in this campaign.
2: I think. This being your first real campaign, you're doing a really good job. All Thank I, you. Um, like I said, I gave I gave you I marked you for several points bonuses for experience, um, and I'm i, I everybody got a little bit of experience here and there, but I think at this point this is a uh, a good start. So everybody understands how I play, and as a DM, that's you know I did something cool. Uh, the new player we introduced today, uh, Ari. Yeah. He uh he he's been playing for two years and he said that he loves my DM style yeah Yeah. absolutely that makes me feel so good because I'm still not 100% comfortable DMing Um, I'm getting used to it yeah so it's really cool to know that it's appreciated how I how I run my game
1: absolutely and of course um, as John and I mentioned before we are going to have a bootcast campaign for D&D which is going to be separate from what we're talking about and we're going to be getting to that uh Sometime uh, soon, we've got to work out all the details, but uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we, we know the real reason you guys are here, so we're going to get to the recap of AEW. This was the Winter is Coming theme here, and as we know, they had a great intro package. Uh, we see a promo with MJF talking about the ring, and he says, if Wardlow or Sammy wins, it will be their ring. So Before
2: we, we get into this, okay, I want to say something Something I've realized and i you've you've made a big point about being against sharing certain things that aren't on actual pay-per-views i actually think that i figured it out with AEW what it is is because they don't have a pay-per-view every month they'll have a big show every month and th- to have it'll be like their version of a pay-per-view but it's a free this is like you get the free big show here and then you get the real pay-per-view the big big show quarterly okay as something, uh, so this is winter is coming. That's their that's their December big show.
1: All right, I can see that. And the only the only thing I will say is if that's if that is what they want to do, you got to make sure if you're if you, if the, if the winter is coming, if this thing has is epic, which we'll get into when we'll let you guys judge for yourselves whether or not you thought it was epic. But if you're gonna do something like that, your pay per view better top. Your TV.
2: Well, I mean, that's just like WWE with their regular pay per views versus the Big Four. Yeah, you know, you'd think that their Big Four should be dominant. They aren't always, but you know, they—that's they, what they're shooting for. You—you you shoot to make that the best show they could possibly have.
1: Exactly. I'm saying that should be your mindset going in. You got to top whatever you just gave out for free on TV. Your pay per view better top that.
2: Even it, it's like it's, even if this is this is supposed to be your big your big free one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we so yeah so now he says it'll be their ring because we're talking because now once again we are having the dynamite diamond battle royal which basically means they're all competing for the dynamite diamond ring which is currently being worn by MJF which ironically was presented to him by Diamond Dallas Page while they weren't getting along so <laughs> DDP had to be professional and award the ring to MJF which we've seen him use to lie cheat and steal his way through multiple victories
2: he does not deserve the Eddie reference.
1: I'll give you that. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I love MJF. He's not, <laughs> he doesn't deserve that reference. No,
1: he doesn't. Um, yeah, we're, he's
2: more like the Christian cower cry. And... <laughs> exactly.
1: That's a good point. So in this dynamite diamond battle Royal, which, Oh God, I don't, I, I, I got, I, I know what I'm going to say about it. I'm obviously going to let Desmond go first, but the participants in this battle Royal are Sean Spears, bitch boy, jelly Geneva, Scorpio sky, Matt Hardy, Isaiah Cassidy, Wardlow, Sammy Guevara, Miro, Matt Seidel, Mark Quinn, Orange Cassidy, John Silver, Alex Reynolds, Luther, Serpentico, Adam Page, Jungle Boy, MJF, Kip Sabian, and Lee Johnson.
2: Before we talk about who won, and keep in mind how this works is the two, uh, the uh, the the top two people battle against each other to go against MJF.
1: No 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 how it works is basically in the battle royal it's you, you it's over the top rope right the last two men standing face off in a singles match and the winner of that gets a diamond ring
2: so MjF just wasn't even in the running.
1: no here's the thing. MjF was in the basically MjF would have to win in order to get into the a situation Was he in the match? He was in the match, which is why I oh okay I, know, I missed that yeah okay. he was in the match, which is why I want to say what I what I got to say okay. but I am gonna let you go
3: okay. first
2: okay well um first off I want to say this match had a lot of great spots in it uh, I think I feel like they showcased a lot a, a, a large group of their talent in this match and uh they did showcase par- a good storyline too with the dark order basically courting um. Uh, hangman Adam Page. And you know, they had an almost like a, a Kofi Kingston moment where he falls out, but the Dark Order catches him and then throws, throws him back in. And this was absolutely, uh, I thought it was a really entertaining spot. And, and it, it once again furthers it on. And he's still not quite feeling it yet, but he's like thankful for the help.
1: Yeah. And I will say that um, that was that spot with uh, Adam Page and the Dark Order where Adam Page went over the top he was like he falls out of the ring, they catch him, put him back up there, and he flips over and hits that buckshot Lariat. To me, that was the only spot that made, that was the only spot that entertained me. I thought this entire battle royal was sloppy. I thought it was very sloppy. You didn't
2: like the Matt Hardy spot where he came back and had his little run?
1: Yeah, I, I liked it, but I thought that there I thought there was there was I thought there was more Matt could have done. In the battle world, I thought he got eliminated way too. I
2: get your point, but at the same time, with that many people, especially something like this showcasing one person too much, I think is a problem as well.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that he should be like the center of attention. I just felt they could have did more with him, and also
2: also Matt Hardy being a legend, he didn't want to take the spotlight from a lot of these younger guys.
1: Yeah, and I know that that's, and I respect that of Matt Hardy to a degree. But at the same time, I do believe that when you are a legend, you do deserve a a little bit more attention. Not a lot, but like a tiny bit more. You know what I'm just saying? I felt like he – I get what he's trying to do, but I feel like there needs to be a moment where Matt's like, hey, let me be selfish a tiny bit and then have the right guy throw me out. I feel like that's what needs to happen instead of just letting everybody – you know, get shots in on me. Pick the pick the one guy you want you want to shine. Shine him up and toss out a few, and toss out the guys who don't need shine. Like for example, Joey Janela stayed in this battle royal way longer than he should have, which bothered the crap out of me.
2: I'm just gonna say you have personal bias against him more than the more than you have against the Miz. Yes, so for a good reason. It's <laughs> for a very good reason. A, once again, this is a personal bias, though. Yeah, he started it. <laughs> I beyond the point talent wise he's not horrible he's a good he's
3: are you kidding me he's a botch machine <laughs> like he like the way you used to talk about Bailey botching in the early days of NXT that's him now
2: I have I don't know, I haven't seen him quite that bad okay it, I've, seen, bad. I've seen I've seen some
3: spots but yeah, I literally watched a match
2: where he was in a tag match
1: and there are guys running at him and he does this thing where he kicks the guy in the gut and you can clearly see him slapping his leg which is pathetic
2: in all fairness, I've, I see Shawn Michaels slap his leg every time he does a super kick. Well, I've seen some people do it, but some people don't make it too obvious. He makes it obvious. I feel like a lot of people make it obvious. And I know, that's, and, and, and that's and not good. Which is not good. I, I feel like that it's like it's hard to judge Janella for that when so many people do that. Oh, I'm not even getting to the batch yet. That's just one part. So he kicks his one guy in the gut. The other
1: guy runs at him. He kicks him in the gut. These two guys are now hunched over like this. Now, he climbs up to the top rope, and his genius idea is, I'm going to walk across their backs and tag in my partner. Here's the problem. These guys have been wrestling for a good seven, eight minutes. What usually happens when you're wrestling for seven, eight minutes? Your, your endurance goes up, and you start to sweat a little bit. He walks. By the
3: time he gets the second guy's back, he slips off, falls on the ground, and rolls out of the ring on television. That was an ultimate... That was it, and that was one of hundreds of botches I've seen. I watched him botching up and over against Cody Rhodes when they were fighting for the TNT Championship. During, when Cody was like, "I'm gonna give a match to everybody," and I'm like,
1: "Duh!" This is back when his open challenges were crap, and they got better and better and better and better and better.
2: Yeah, he's no John Cena. I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least, yeah. I'm saying they, like, literally. I watched it. I even retweeted it. <clears throat> When Joey and I were in our Twitter war, I put that up there, and then at one point he tried to write, I've never botched in my career, and I posted it again and went, I'll just leave this here. Like, I've never botched in my career. Like, motherfucker, we saw you on, we saw the match. And here's how you, and, here, and the only reason I saw that match, it was on AEW Dark, is because I don't watch Dark. But they have, like, one episode where they have, like, the whole thing, but then they do this thing where sometimes they chop up the individual matches... Someone in the A who's on charge of the YouTube channel thought it was a brilliant idea to go. Hey, we're gonna put this match on its own video and ch- and put it there. So literally, I saw eight minutes in him slip off the guy's back and roll out of the ring. This guy is totally a terrible wrestler. He's basically one of those guys that's like, if it's not a hardcore match, he can't look good. He's absolute garbage in the ring. And that and and, and I said and I, and, I, and I was. I critiqued him from a social distancing match I saw that was absolute garbage because it it was like the most embarrassing match I've ever seen. And I just critiqued him based on that and wasn't even that mean to him. I just critiqued and said, I can't take him seriously after watching a ridiculous match like this. So he attacks me, makes it personal. I'm like, all right. So now I go back and forth. I do have a personal bias, but most wrestling people will tell you this guy is garbage. He kisses the buck's ass, and that's the only reason he has a job. I promise you. No
2: other wrestling company would hire this idiot. He wouldn't have had eyes on from the Bucks if other wrestling companies had didn't already have eyes on him. No, trust me, Bucks. The Bucks like to pick and choose people that they goof around with. I'm not going to disagree with you on that, but if he if he wasn't being signed and and put out from other companies, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have known him in the first place. So your point. <laughs> I'm saying this guy is absolute garbage. Like I
1: can't take nobody takes. Him I mean, I'm
2: seriously. not saying he's Look, I'm not saying he's championship material. I'm not. Uh, but he's good for spots, man. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's why I that's why I enjoy him. He is good for spots, man.
1: Yeah, if they're hardcore spots and he could do it in a way where he's not slipping or botching or flipping off or like, like he should have I his own say, episode of Botchamania. That's how I bad will he is. Say,
2: walking across somebody's backs I would I want to see that because that's a that was a cool concept the concept was great but he didn't factor in that and I mean, I, all the he have to also him. consider the guy who was standing up probably wasn't leaning just the right way it was a combination of a bunch of factors <laughs> yeah but it clearly I mean, you know you see it's clearly his fault if you look at it i mean it, it, a big part of it. i mean look but you have to realize a big part of it goes in both ways now if he I, I guess if you're really gonna do it, you have to walk further on the back towards the tailbones because there's less leverage. I'm actually having to figure out how I would do this. At the moment. <laughs> this is like this is a cool spot. It, it would have been. <laughs> if he, it would have
1: been like and the thing is like that's the thing. Like he got he hopped on the one guy's back, hopped on the second guy's back, and then just slipped and then like slipped and just hit the ground. Damn near rolled out of the ring because <laughs> he just like and so he and, sold. So he sold the fall well he had to he he, he didn't, have to he didn't get, sell yeah. the fall he fell like it's like you. he can't sell he literally hit the floor the he announcers said, yeah. sold it like tried to sell it like it was no big deal when we all saw that it was it was like it, it was almost the only thing more embarrassing than that was Matt Seidel's debut that's
2: Matt, the only thing that was most embarrassing and what's really bad is Matt Seidel is such a great worker <laughs> he really is like he's actually talented he's Matt actually Sidell talented Matt Seidel is such a great worker and he <laughs> missed his
1: finishing move yeah. And the thing is, I look at it like this: like obviously MJF is in this match, <laughs> and um, I will admit I liked his spots, even though I was I'm like, dude, you
2: already have the diamond ring. Why are you in this match? I do. I I, I, I feel like yeah, I feel like it should have come down to the the winner of this match should face MJ, MJF, and he should just defend it. I will say uh, yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. So um, I thought that was stupid. But I, I, if this is the way that they're going to do it every year, and this is the policy, then I'm cool with it. If they yeah. stick with it, then that's the rules, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, and all it does, then all they gotta say is, "Look, you're guaranteed your spot in the battle royal."
1: Yeah. So then, and then in the end, Orange Cassidy and MJR for the last two standing. So now they're gonna face off with this diamond ring, which means that it's.
2: Oh, that's right. I, it's, it's, For some reason, I was thinking it was Wardlow against. Uh,
1: it was because, but then they realized yeah, Orange Cassidy was yeah, never officially eliminated, right, so right. they tossed him back in the ring. And, and orange,
2: they, Ca- orange Cassidy had a spot where he made War- made it look like Wardlow was beating on MJF, and he, that was great. He hit he hit uh, an orange punch on Wardlow, and tossed it, Wardlow into, over the top rope. At one point, no. But what I'm saying is, at one point, he had thrown it, Wardlow into MJF when MJF wasn't looking. And MJF thought the Wardlow was attacking MJF. Yeah, and then and then Orange Cassidy tosses yeah. Wardlow out. So yeah, it, yeah, regardless. which
1: yeah, Orange yeah. Orange Cassidy took Wardlow and threw him over. Didn't didn't pull down the ropes and have him stumble over. Didn't this. They had him actually throw Wardlow over the top rope.
2: No, it was. It wasn't like he was facing directly on him. There was a distraction. There was other stuff involved. You have to give some, a little bit of credit here. They
1: they tried their best to kayfabe it, but it just that did not look belie- that toss out did not
2: look believable to me at all. I'm sorry, I can suplex you if I can suplex you. Orange Cassidy can throw Wardlow over the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's not
1: entirely true. You can, I mean, you can suplex me but you also have incredible upper body strength that I did not anticipate. You're okay. not benefiting your argument. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is
3: that you have incredible upper body
1: strength. Orange Cassidy does not have incredible upper body strength. How do you know that? I'm
2: looking right at it. The guy does have one ounce of muscle on him. You have muscle on you. He has plenty of muscle on him. He's uh, he's a lot more fit than I am. <laughs> I'm just
1: saying, I would... I mean. Well, well, obviously, I mean, look at him. The guy's flipping, ar- the guy's flipping around the ring with his hands in his pockets.
2: Clearly, he's in some
1: kind of shape. Yeah, but I'm good. just saying. What
2: I'm saying, you you, 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 he is deceptively strong. You don't think about him being deceptively strong because he's a thin guy. But he's a he is a de- a deceptively strong. I'm not saying he's Cesaro strong. I'm not. I'm, just, I'm not going there. I'm just saying, like you. <laughs> I'm just saying, like for someone of his size to throw Wardlow over the top rope, it's hard for me to believe. But at the same time, like I said, it was not like they were facing off against each other and like face to face. No, there was, was distractions involved. There was other stuff. It yeah, was... they,
1: they did other things to factor it in. I give them that. I st- But as far as him lifting Wardlow over that top rope, he lifted him. I'm Therefore, not... he
2: could do it. <laughs> I'm just saying. He, I... they, but he did lift him. He used his own strength and lifted him. I'm, you're, you're,
3: you're, you're, I'm having a hard time
1: buying it. I'm having a hard time buying you're it. You're having
2: a hard time buying what your eyes literally saw
1: him do? Yeah, I, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure Wardlow boosted himself up. I don't think he
2: deadlifted him over that top rope. I think that as long as, look, here's the thing, here's how leverage works. As long as you have, as long as you're not like completely in bad position, a dead, you know, the thing, what makes a deadlift so hard is you have to go all the way from a downed position all the way up. Cassidy didn't have to do that. Wardlow was already above his level; he had a leverage advantage that he could use.
1: Okay, so in the end, OC and MJF are the last two standing, so they're gonna fight next week. And I look at it like one of two things is gonna happen: either MJF's gonna keep the ring, which in my opinion makes the whole Battle Royal a waste of time. Right, I will agree
2: with that. Or
1: Orange Cassidy's gonna 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 get the ring, and the whole Battle Royal will be a waste of time. <laughs>
2: So I'm just like I do think I don't see a I, do a, I, do think think I be, don't see a win-win I think it'll here. be an interesting thing with Orange Cassidy having the ring. Like, is he going to use it as a weapon as MJF has? I, um, I can tell you exactly how he's going to use that ring if he gets it. Guaranteed,
1: he's going to take the ring. He's going to put it on his thumb and he's going to give a thumbs up with the ring on his finger. I promise you that is the only purpose it will serve. I dare him to prove me wrong. I challenge Orange Cassidy to prove me wrong. But that's exactly what he's going to do. Cause he's, cause he's not gonna cheat to win, he's not gonna use, it's not gonna do anything except be on his thumb, and he just
2: goes, whatever. That's, think, that's what you. I show. think, I think here's what he's gonna end up doing. He's gonna put it on his on his middle finger, and listen to me why I say this. I, I'm I'm paying attention to this. All right, and you're just gonna see him in the back, in, in the back, just kind of looking at it like, ooh, shiny. <laughs>
1: I can see that happening too. Although, speaking of the middle finger, I'm going to go on a brief little tangent here before we get to the next match. I know we're talking about a lot. One thing I would like to see in AEW is can they cool it with the middle fingers? Y'all are not Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) Some of y'all are doing...
0: Some of them them are flipping people off way too much.
2: In all fairness, when Stone Cold was doing it, it was more of an insult than it is these days. These days, let's be honest, everybody flips everybody off. Yeah. So it's not a big deal anymore when people do it. Um, so that's the thing. When they all do it, that's what they're doing. It's like it's, they're, they're just being them. Okay. Whereas back when Stone Cold did it, it was a big taboo thing.
1: Yeah. Hell, even when Brock Lesnar did it one time, it was a taboo. Well, when Brock Lesnar did it, it was taboo because of who he did it to. Yeah, The Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never forget that. that. That, to me, was one of the best finishes I'd ever seen. Was him locked in that hell's gate. And he, and like, that was it. Like, he, he just.
2: hashed out with the middle finger. Like, he's great. Like, Brock knew he was going to sleep. So he was just like. One Q. defiant, one final defiant act. That, to <laughs> me, because here's why I did it. It
1: got Taker the win, and it didn't bury Brock, because he just was like,
2: you, before and, he went out. Well, not, and not only that, but it gave Brock a little bit of personality, which is something he lacks. Yeah. I
1: mean, here's the thing he can pull it out when he wants to, but a lot of times he's just. Like, I've seen him do it, like, with our truth I've seen him do it with... But in uh,
2: all fairness, he does it with R-Truth because R-Truth is so over the top that he can't hold it in. And the thing is, they're
1: <laughs> actually friends. Like, they actually get along. And they said, apparently, there was... I don't know if I mentioned this. If I mentioned this story already, I apologize. But I gotta tell it again. Uh, they actually said that the night he had Brock laughing was Paul Heyman said there was a bet going on in the locker room. That arch that they couldn't get arch that arch truth couldn't get Brock. T- some people thought like, could he get Brock to break character because he never he always stands there so he goes. Some people are like arch truth and a lot of people are saying you can't do it.
2: So it's kind of egging arch truth
1: on. He's like, I got this. So Paul was the only one that knew he was going to do that. He knew what he was going to say,
3: but Brock said so that's why he said like you know you're a big big person, but I'll still throw you out of that ring, Paul Heyman. it's like I the 24-7 7-11 95 European television mid-Atlantic champion is going is officially declaring himself in the Royal Rumble and he goes um and Paul's like um I'm not in the Royal Rumble Brock
1: is in the Royal Rumble and he's like huh Ladies I'm and gentlemen. Un- un-
3: undeclared. <laughs> as soon as he did the whole I am 247, I95. European television middle <laughs> HF is officially undeclared. As soon as he said undeclaring, Brock is like leaning against the ropes. He's dying laughing. All this stuff. And then of course, and then like and then eventually
1: Brock does Brock does the cue where he beats the crap out of him. And then he grabs the mic and then Brock just goes, That's what's up, and drops it, like with personality. And I was like To me, I love that. Like, even when, like, Ricochet came out and gave that boring-ass monologue, and then Brock just kicks him in the nuts, hits him with an F5, and goes, not scared. I'm like, that's that's, that's
3: all he had to say.
1: I love shit like that. But anyway, um, on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening here. Uh, We have Frankie Kazarian versus Chris Jericho.
2: This, I mean... You have a great up-and-comer against a legend. And Jericho can make anyone look good anyway. And Frankie Guzarian has talent on his own. Oh god! This was a great match. It was incredible.
1: Like, I loved it. I mean, I still... There's, and, I, and I feel like... I like seeing this. But I think... I, I'm going to say right now, at Revolution, I want to see... I want this to continue. I want to see Jericho and Christopher Daniels at Revolution. I feel like that's going to be the moneymaker for that pay-per-view. So... <laughs> I like the fact he fought Kazarian here, but I still want to see him and Christopher Daniels because I feel like that's going to be a tear the house down match because both these guys know how to work every style. Both these guys know how both those guys know how to tell a story, and this match you know, was incredible. I don't,
2: I don't disagree with you, but I'm just Christopher Daniels bores me. Really, as a character, he bores me. Uh, his in-ring style he can work I will give you that but I mean so can Cesaro you know what I mean and yeah that's the feeling I get with with Christopher Daniels like you're great in ring but uh, it's like I'm, I'm start- the more I watch him the more I'm like well this is why no one signed him I don't see the personality well yeah I mean people have signed him Christopher Daniels
1: he was in you know, he, was, he was in, ring, mean, of, he was in TNA mean, he was in Ring of Honor he's been signed TNA will sign anybody now they will Back then, they did <laughs> Christopher Daniels was one of
2: the TNA originals. Yeah, but he uh, was there with, with AJ
1: Styles well, yeah,
0: and yeah, Samoa Joe.
2: Uh, but yeah, TNA signed AJ Styles when AJ Styles couldn't do much. Oh, I know. So you see my point, though. It's like yes. The, TNA would sign anybody. Um, Ring of Honor, they're. I mean, sometimes they're choosy, and other times it's like, why the fuck would you sign that person? Oh, I know. So it's one of those. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and it's like, and I'm not saying, like I said. He's a great worker. I just feel like he needs more personality. Something has to shine through here. Right? Yeah, because I just
1: get bored with him. I mean, I mean, I mean, I will say SCU has brought out a lot of personality in him. Damn
2: it. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Scorpio Sky. Yeah. You know, so that's a big thing. It's like, uh, and maybe maybe we'll see some more of Christopher Daniels uh, showing some personality here in the future. I hope we do because, like I said, he's a great worker. He puts on great matches. I'm and. I, as a, but as a character, yeah, bores me. Frankie Gazarian,
1: I like him. I, I will say this though, I like him on being the elite more than I like him on AEW, Frankie, because he has he does the best. Because on be, being the elite, everybody has their own bits and like stuff, and his is based on a real story. Basically, a lot of times he'll be sitting there working out with these like cables and stuff, and somebody will make a comment like you know, you know, uh, you know, like you know, I like going to the movies, and all of a sudden Frankie will pop up behind a room and go, Do ya? And just start working out, and the whole thing was based on a, a incident that happened to him years ago. Frankie Kazarian had a tryout with WWE, and Hardcore Holly at the time was still on the roster, and he was mm-hmm. working a match with Hardcore Holly. That was going to be his tryout match. So he go, so he sees Hardcore Holly, and he's working out with these cables. And Frankie at the time was very, very new, so he was nervous. He was intimidated, right? And he didn't know what to say to Hardcore Holly. So he's trying to say, okay, what can I say? What am I going to do? And he just blurted this out and he regrets ever saying it. But it was the first thing that popped into his head. He was trying to break the ice. And he said, he said, I really love your entrance theme.
2: I <laughs> mean that really basic, yeah. generic. <laughs> and he looked over and Frank and, and Harker
1: Holly looked over at him while he's working on the cable. And just goes, do you? And then he goes back to working out and just ignores him. And Frankie was like, "What the hell?" So they go out there. They have the match. Obviously, Frankie didn't get signed. And he said that years later, when Frankie became more of an established name, he bumped into Hardcore Holly at a convention. And by this time, they they know each other now. Right. And they were saying hi and giving him a hug and everything. And he told him that story and about how he said that because he started doing that on Being the Elite, and he realized he was copying Hardcore Holly. And he goes. And he goes, yeah, man, he goes, he he goes, he was telling the story. He goes, he goes, that's why you do that. He goes, yeah. He goes, he's like, he's like, yeah, I was wondering why you did that. He goes, well, I just, he goes, yeah, I I thought you were fucking with me. And Frankie goes, he's like, he's like, Holly, I was, I was a rookie. Why would I try to fuck with you? (laughs) That makes no sense at all. I did it because I was nervous, not because I wanted to, not because I wanted to bust your balls. Because he thought he was being sarcastic, and he's like, "I love your interesting," because like, of how basic it is. So now every time somebody says something, he just goes, "Do ya?" and it's hilarious. Like the best one was when, um, remember when Jericho uh destroyed Vanguard One with the bat? Yeah. So they on being the elite, they did a funeral for Vanguard One. <laughs> so everybody's there in suits giving eulogy speeches. And Frankie's sitting there. He's got sunglasses on. He's not paying attention. And he puts his head down. It looks like he's asleep.
0: <laughs>
1: and all of a sudden, the Bucks are up there talking. And at one point, because it turns out the Bucks are very religious,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so one, so they're trying to give a speech, but they're being funny about it. And the guy says, you know, you know, personally, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in Jesus. I, I, I firmly believe in Jesus Christ. And Kazarian just goes, do ya? And everybody <laughs> jumps up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and then and everybody looks at Frankie, like, dude, what
1: the hell? And finally he breaks the fourth wall and goes, You realize we're having a funeral for a drone? This is fucking stupid. <laughs> they're like, Dude, show some respect. Respect! It's a goddamn drone! It's the funniest shit I've ever seen. And it was my favorite moment of that. So Frankie, definitely, I love his personality. Jericho, of course, gets the win here with the Judas effect, which I love. He's still protecting
2: that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is this one of those times where. You know Jericho's got finisher moves that every time he comes out with one, he protects it for a little while, and finally, when somebody breaks it, the first time it was like when he for a long time he put the walls of Jericho on, it was over. Then that started going away. Then he started using the uh, um, the uh, code well, breaker. Break- and that was an instant put away for a good while. Then somebody kicked out of that, and then it, it started becoming more like the John Cena setup, where you got to hit it four or five times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but Jericho does protect it for a while, and I really hope he continues to protect the Judas effect for a while. Yeah, I, it needs to be. It needs to be. It needs to be the right person when right. they decide to ever have him like, kick out. Like he needs to be going against like some serious monster, and you, that first hit will take him down, but to like a knee, and he's just like but like yeah. not put him down. Oh yeah. But before he got the win, this is the most interesting part here. Is of
1: course uh, MJF and um you know Wardlow run out and MJF's got the towel in his hand. Cuz it looks like Jericho's cuz he's got cuz at the time cuz had his own the walls of Jericho in on Jericho. Mm-hmm. So it looked like he was going to tap. So he goes to throw the towel in, which we all know that's what started Sammy and M- M- and M- MJF's like official heel heel turn. Like well, he was a heel beforehand, then he kind of turned babyface briefly when Cody and Jericho were feuding. MJF was very much a babyface during that cuz Cody was his mentor. Right. Then he did the official heel turn when he threw in the towel and kicked him in the nuts and all that. So now he's got the towel in his hand. Sammy goes to rip the towel out of his hand. Jericho turns around, sees Sammy with the towel, thinking he's about to throw it in. So now there's all this conflict. So now Sammy and MJF once again are at each other's throws. They're shoving each other backwards. Sammy's shoving MJF. MJF's defending himself, and that's how it looks. Because MJF's clearly just like trying it's like he's like it's like he's trying to play Peacemaker and Sammy's getting mad and everything. And then Jericho grabs the mic and says he is tired of this shit. And Jericho says that next week they will decide to either work together as a team or they break
2: up forever and when he said as a team he said specifically all of us yeah in other words we all stick together or we all separate which is a really weird setup here <laughs> um i'm not sure what they're going to do with it i have no idea where this is going um but it does kind of throw a wrinkle in our uh, in what we plant or what we thought they were doing with it
1: yeah i'm going to be honest i don't like it uh this is how i feel about it Uh, I don't feel, I feel like if MJF and Sammy are the two main people arguing, obviously Ortiz is not a big fan of his either, but everybody else is kind of warming up to him. Ortiz is slowly but surely getting on board.
2: Ortiz is like, I don't like you, but I tolerate you.
1: Exactly. Sammy legit doesn't like him. What I think Jericho should have done.
2: Is put the two of these two against each other.
1: Yes. I feel like, and obviously if the, if revolution was right around the corner, I'd book it then. Maybe you book this next week. I don't know. But if you could, if, unless you could drag it out a few months, I don't know if they could with this. But here's how I feel: you have MJF versus Sammy G, and you would loser be like,
2: oh, leaves. "Loser
1: leaves the inner circle." I would rather see that.
2: Absolutely.
1: That would and, be a much better match.
0: It would
2: be a great way. It would also be a great way for MJF to start asserting dominance over the inner circle. It's like he beat he beat Sammy. His biggest problem in the inner circle is gone.
1: Yeah, Sa- and, and Sammy G can venture out on his own. And do his own thing because I feel like he's. I feel like no, just, don't get me wrong. He's great in the inner circle, but I feel like he's ready to go on his own. Oh,
2: absolutely! It's one of those deals where uh, he's being overshadowed by so many by so many big names in the inner circle. Uh, because let's be honest here, you've got Jake Hagar and and you've got uh, Jericho and you've got MJF now. I mean, there are so many big names in this team. The same is going to get, become overshadowed. Now they're keeping a spotlight on him right now, so they are kind of protecting him at this point. But if they don't continue to protect him, then he's they're going to be in trouble. So if he uh, if he stays in the inner circle, he, they've got to keep the spotlight on him. Otherwise, it'd be better for him to go out on his own. Yeah, it would be it
1: would be amazing. And then of course, on that note, we cut to the backstage area with the young bucks who announce that they are facing the Hybrid 2, and if they win, they will give them a shot at the tag team titles. The Acclaimed walk up and announce their arrival in AEW, and Max busts out a freestyle dumping on the Bucks. Matt laughs and talks about them stealing Cena's gimmick, without mentioning Cena's name. The Hybrid 2 attack the Bucks and throw them into a dumpster. SCU chase them off with a chair.
2: I loved this segment. <laughs> It was stupid, it was silly, but it was a very well-done little shot. Okay, they took a quick cheap shot at Cena without it being a cruel shot. Because it was more like, oh, look, it's not even that they were insulting Cena. It's like, look, you stole Cena's gimmick. It was was like, come on now, you can do better than that. (laughs) Yeah, it's like,
1: where have we heard this before? Like, I'm going to say this right now. Um... The, i'm i mean I get that it was silly and everything else but I was like this the freestyle was so poorly done oh man. i don't know if it was like if they did that on purpose or if they really just suck but i immediately felt like turned off by this scene i love the I did like the aggression i like the fact that we're gonna see them in hybrid twos so we've already talked about how about how great they are but I'm like this that that segment was just Ugh. Like, the Bucks saved it with the Cena comment, but it was just, that fell flat to me. I was like, this this is not a team that has me interested.
0: Never.
1: And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have Dr. Britt Baker versus Legit Layla Hirsch. Next.
2: <laughs> I take it we didn't enjoy this match? I'm not a fan of Britt Baker. We know this. Yeah, I'm not either. Um I honestly feel like this match takes away from much better women's matches that happen in AEW.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean I will say I like the fact that Layla Hirsch is like I did like the background their the backstory they're giving on her. Uh I'm assuming it's true. Like the fact that she's like she's got a great re- fighting background, a great wrestling background. She was, I think she was, I think they said that she was like the captain of a wrestling team, which, uh, and I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm just stating a fact as someone who wrestled, it's not, it's very rare that a woman is the captain of a wrestling team. So in high school. So
2: I thought that was amazing that she has that background, but it's like, how'd she get that spot? Well, she got sick of the male wrestling uh, team leader and said, you know what? I'll have a one-on-one with you. And then she won. Yeah.
1: And hey, and I look at it like that. That's how it should be. It's like you want the spot, earn it. If you can earn it, more power to you.
2: Now, whether or not that's actually what happened, I don't know. Exactly. I, I I'm lock. just I, it's like I I'm bullshitted s- that.
1: Well, <laughs> see here's the thing. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the captain the captain's not always the best wrestler on the team. Sometimes it's the person that has great leadership. It usually goes to a senior as well as should. You know, that way they can interchange the captains out every year. So it, it basically, based on two things. Usually, you have one or two captains. I know that I was, when I was a senior, it was me and this other guy. We were the captains of the team at the time. So basically, because we had experience and great leadership skills, and the other guy was a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking anything away. Dude was a badass. I was good, but I wasn't a badass. Um, so, anyway, I, I enjoyed that aspect. And then Britt Baker wins with a lockjaw, big surprise. Thunder Rosa hits the ring and attacks Baker. The referees separate them and then Re- Reba attacks Rosa, which results in her suplexing Reba out of her boots. Rosa and Baker fight again until a bunch of producers come out and separate them again. So that means we're going to see these two fight at some point.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I like the showcasing Thunder Rosa, but I don't like that they're doing it by putting her against Britt Baker.
1: Yeah, me neither. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have... Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes versus Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs of Team
2: Taz. I mean, you couldn't go wrong with either of these teams. Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes work so well together, whether they're against each other or working with each other. They work so well together. And Will Hobbs is a great powerhouse, and Ricky Starks is just all around, he's good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, he is. You know they say it all the time about Randy Orton. If you build build a superstar from the ground up, that's what he would be. Ricky Starks is that right there. Yeah. Um. So I mean, he's got it all. He's got the look. He's got the he's got the mouth. <laughs> yeah. And and he's got the in ring ability. It's the trifecta of what you need in pro wrestling. Yeah. Um. So you put these two teams together uh, against each other, and it's absolute magic in the ring. I loved it because uh,
1: everything I saw in the match was believable, and that's what I like. They're try- they're being a lot smarter with how they they structure the matches and the spots, especially with somebody like Darby Allen.
2: Yeah, Darby Allens will get a couple of shots using his speed in against the bigger guys, but he tags out unless the bigger guy do more of the damage in other spots. And it's about time; it's about keeping the fresh man in, and uh, they do uh, the ring psychology that's what people don't understand here is like why 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 I say that I like AEW uh, a lot more than I, a lot of these guys were New Japan wrestlers and they're like well you like all you like AEW but all these guys came from New Japan why don't you like New Japan because New Japan has no psychology none I, none I, I like don't get me wrong every, I can watch a, I can watch a New Japan match here or there and be like that was cool I, I can be like that was a cool spot that was a cool spot but that's all it is is a spot to them the only thing that matters is the finish And uh, I just, I need more than that. Yeah. I need, I need a story. I can't, I can't just have a
1: match. That's just not me. It's like, okay, you got two guys wrestling in a ring. All right. Unless it's a dream match, I need a story.
2: Yeah. It's like, like, look here. I'm I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, man. I know basically where I want my story to go, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, okay, you're on the road. You're going to this place. You're going to battle this person. No. How you get there is more important.
1: Yeah, and it was like, well, I think that's what we're all talking about downstairs. Like, you can easily sit there and go, okay, we can roll, and we can fight, and we can do all this other stuff,
2: but it's when we start talking in character and doing fun lines and stuff, that's what makes it fun. Right. It was like, it's like when I wrote your characters in. I could have just said, okay, all of a sudden these guys are in the party now, cool, and we just continue on, but I furthered the story- and continued the story by writing them in in ways that made sense for their characters, and it made a better story. The story is why we love pro wrestling. The story is why we love role-playing. Exactly.
1: So, And what I loved about this, and here's what I mean by the way they timed everything. Like, Cody hits the cutter. Mm-hmm. Darby Allen blind-tags himself in. Then, Cody hits a plancha onto Hobbs onto the floor. Ricky Starks is already down from the cutter. So it's perfect for Darby Allen to hit the coffin drop. It's believable cuz he's right. already down.
2: Yeah, it's like he got hit and he and he got hit with two finishing moves to stay down. Exactly. It took it took the it took the cutter and the coffin drop to beat him. So everything looked believable. It was a beautiful finish. Uh, they they not they took Hobbs out of the picture so he couldn't break it up. Everything it was a tag team 101.
1: Yes. From two from guys who aren't <laughs> normally tag teams, which is a which is crazy.
2: Cody's been in a lot of tag teams.
1: Well, I'm saying I meant like as a regular tag team on the roster is what I mean. Like Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen are not a yeah, legit together, tag yeah, team. They no, just happen to be they're together.
2: Two, for, they're right now they're two single guys who happen to have a common
1: interest. That's what yeah that's what I mean. They're not. It's not. It's not the Bucks. It's not FTR. It's not Private Party.
2: They're right. Not, it's just Cody Rhodes. and Darby or, or Allen. Or more specifically, it's not. It's not Legacy. For Cody Rhodes, it's not you know, yeah exactly. It's not him in Gold Dust. It's not you know, yeah all, all the t- tag teams that Cody's been in. It's none of those. Yeah, he's
1: just in a ring with a guy with a common enemy. And Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs don't normally team up because Will Hobbs just recently joined. Yeah, so they're not a. So that's what I meant. We saw great tag team one on one wrestling from guys who normally aren't tag teams. That's what I meant. Like yeah, the, I, not
2: we I, saw good chemistry from people who barely work together. Exactly. <laughs>
1: and then Hobbs and then of course after the match Hobbs attacks Allen and Arn Anderson attacks Hobbs from behind trying to save him Hobbs and Starks beat down Arn Anderson which brings Dustin Rhodes out Brian Cage runs out Team Taz beat down the Nightmare family Taz hands the FTW title to Hobbs he goes to hit Cody with it and the lights go out
2: and the bell tolls. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh my Undertake, god. Undertaker oh my. did not go to AEW. That would have been freaking crazy if he did. It's like what? It's like Undertaker retires uh, re- retires from WWE. Okay, cool. Undertaker makes a debut in AEW. What? <laughs> Vince would be so pissed. Oh god. Oh, and he would suddenly be. worried.
1: Oh yeah. Only only only—it's now coming out. It's it's The Mortician. Because he can't be Undertaker, that's a legal WWE name. Or if he was, or if he came out like that, but he was me, Mark Callis again.
2: Uh, he, they, they would do something like, "Oh, it's the Dead Man." They would yeah. call him the Dead Man. Yeah,
1: uh, and then so and then all of a sudden a video plays with a bunch of ice and ominous music, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" And then the lights come on. All of a sudden, you see the words Sting showed up, and Sting, yes, that Sting walks out. With
2: snow falling. No, and not the guy from the police. No, not the guy from the police.
1: <laughs> Southside Steve made that joke once, and I just looked at him when he did it. I looked at him right because they were replaying an interview he did with Sting. Because apparently they were St- TNA was coming to town. Back this back when Sting was in TNA. Yeah. So Southside Steve did a one on one interview with Sting. So they were replaying it because they what they do is they pre record some of the interviews and then they just air it in its entirety. So usually they're just sitting around doing nothing while it's playing live because they have the mic shut up and everything. And I'm listening to it. We're all in there. And I, and, and as, as soon as I heard him say he tried to make a sting from the police reference, I just turned and looked at him. Because I'm the wrestling guy, and I know that they love wrestling, but they don't really follow it the way I do. So I just kind of looked at him like, seriously, bro? <laughs> seriously? And then they were doing like they were talking about, like, and then Southside Steve went into this comment about hair versus hair matches. And, that's, and I'm listening to like half of this interview, and I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the wrestling part to come in. And there wasn't a lot of it, uh, at least in this interview. And I'm just, the whole time, I'm just staring at Southside Steve like, dude, you could have asked. I could have gave you some questions for him. <laughs> I could have wrote some stuff down. Like, and But I get that Southside Steve, that's how he does things. So I will say this, though. He did interview Matt Hardy once, and I was so impressed with how he did it. Because he name-dropped Gordon Soley. I was, like, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You knew about Gordon Soley? He goes, yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm impressed. For those who don't know Gordon Soley, the original Jim Ross. Like, before Jim Ross, there was Gordon Soley. He was the man. He was the best. <clears throat> until Jim Ross showed up. And then he became the best to play by play announcer. But Gordon Soley was the guy for the previous era.
2: So before I watched wrestling.
1: Yeah, before, <laughs> before I watched wrestling, Gordon Soley was the man. Like, And I learned about him because uh, when Jim Ross was being in, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, Triple H made a comment that he said, he said, I've often heard Jim say uh, Gordon Soley was the best. He goes, I looked him right in the eye and told him you're as good as Gordon Soley ever was. You know, because everybody said that, There's everybody agreed that Jim Ross was the man. Now, Tony Schiavone was my personal favorite, but... I said Jim Ross was the man. But anyway, so Sting arrives. <laughs> he walks out. Team Taz bails out. A bunch of snow is falling down. All of a sudden, Sting gets in the ring. He's face-to-face with Arn Anderson. He then looks down at Dustin and stares him down. He then kneels down and looks at Cody. He then turns to Darby Allen and gets in his face as Darby's lip is literally quivering. And the whole time, Sting, I forgot to mention, has his baseball bat in hand. So we don't know what he's doing. And the announcers are selling it like crazy. Tony Schiavone is in tears. You can tell from his voice. Crackling going, this is the moment. And then he gets out of the ring. And he just walks out. He made his appearance. He scared off the bad guys. And he left. And he not only that, he stared down the good guys, too. Because he said him and Arn Anderson were never really friends. Didn't have a lot of friendship there. He's staring down Dustin Rhodes. He's looking at Cody. And they're all looking at Sting like, what's he doing here? And apparently, a lot of those guys didn't know he was coming. Like, I think the only people that knew was Tony Khan and the Bucks.
2: Oh, you know Cody knew.
1: Let's Co- be straight Possibly here. Cody,
2: but the rest of them didn't. <laughs> Cody is too high in management to not have known. Exactly.
1: But what they did was they hid Sting somewhere for half for most of the day. They put Sting somewhere where you couldn't see him. And then, so when he walked out, there were people literally backstage, like wrestlers backstage going, Sting is here? Like they didn't know. Bucks, the Bucks tried to keep it a surprise from as many people as possible because like, they we wanted, don't
2: do spoilers.
1: Because they didn't want anybody spoiling it. So if Cody knew, he kept it a secret. But everybody else in that ring didn't have a shitting clue what was happening. It,
2: it was one of those deals like a handful of people knew- it's like, a, you know, there were three people who knew, who, who, there were like three people who knew that, uh, it's like, no, Luke,
3: I am your father. It was,
2: yeah. It's just, no, I am your father. There were like three people who knew that Darth Vader was going to say that. You know who those people were? I know George Lucas, I think it was Mark Hamill, who's the third. The
1: obvious one, you're missing. Uh, Harrison Ford? Really? Really? Edward James Olmos, really? Carrie Fisher, really? I just said George Lucas, Mark Hamill. Who can I possibly? I'm li- I'm literally the name of the main who vo- characters. Who voiced Darth Vader? Edward James Olmos. I said that.
2: The I said the guy who voiced Mufasa. That that guy. Yes, yeah, the guy who voiced Mufasa. But you're getting the name wrong. Okay, so I don't know I remember the guy's name. <laughs> it's Edward something. Or James
1: something It's Edward It's James it's, it's one of those You know what I mean Oh my God. Why is this funny Let's, What did I say What
2: I believe the term You were looking for Is James Earl
3: Jones
1: Oh fuck Why did I think Edward James What <laughs> Fuck Okay
3: <laughs>
1: Okay Why did I think It was Edward I oh, I keep Fucking that up <coughs> Edward James, I knew. I thought it was Edward James something. I keep James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones.
2: Yes,
0: the three Edward people. James Alamo,
1: oh wait, that's a different guy.
2: Okay, that's a different guy. You know what's the best part about this is what you're not editing.
3: No, I'm not. <laughs> I'll take it in there. I fucked up. Fine, let the
1: Star Wars people let the Star Wars people come at me. I don't care.
2: <laughs> I fucked it up. All right. Okay, but yeah, they were the only ones who knew, and, and, and uh, I believe the director knew. Yeah. Okay. So it was the four people, but uh, you so but apparently George Lucas set them all together and said, "Look, only the four of us know this. The actor who's actually playing Darth Vader doesn't know this." Yeah. He was uh, he when he said the actor who played uh, Darth Vader what he said was, "No, uh, Obi wan killed your father." Is what the line he said was. He didn't know that James Earl Jones was going to do a full voiceover of it. Yeah. So uh, the story the story goes. Uh, George Lucas had go down. Got down was like the four of us are the only ones who know this secret. So if it gets out before the uh, before the uh, box office debut, I'll know it was one of you. And he said it with like this menacing look. Damn right! Don't blame them. <laughs> oh yeah, I also it was great.
1: Oh, I also remember um, there was a scene in The Empire Strikes Back. It's the scene where um, it's the scene where uh, Han Solo was being frozen in carbonite, right? And they're about to take him away. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where um, where where Princess Leia says, "I love you," and Han Solo says, "I know." He Harrison Ford. Put that line in there. Oh yeah. Because originally in the original script, he was supposed to say, it was supposed to be I love you, I love you too. And then he was going in there. But but Harrison Ford was reading this and he said, Hold he said, Hold up. Han Solo wouldn't say that. Han Solo's supposed to be cool, supposed to be smooth, like that. So he's not he would never say I love you too, even though he means it. You know, he said, I would never say that. So he said, Can we can we change this? So they were like, Okay, so they gave it a shot. So when he said, I know, and they went, that works. So they added that. So Harrison Ford changed that line. That's why in Return of the Jedi, when he says, I love you, and she says, I know, it works.
0: Because mm-hmm, so it, it was
1: a shot back at it. It was a shot back at it, but it, it made better sense because yeah. Harrison Ford was... Han Solo wouldn't admit that this at this point in the film. Now, the third one, he'll admit it, but the second one, he's kind of still trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so we have all that. Then Tony Schiavone reveals, we find out that... Tony Khan is signing Sting to a multi-year deal. Apparently, it's full time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and with AEW. But not only that, this coming Wednesday, he's officially going to speak on why he's here. So now, which I love, they're enticing <clears throat> people. They're giving you a motivating
2: factor to tune in next week.
1: Why is Sting here?
2: I'm I'm hoping that they're bringing him in as like an enforcer, like Stone Cold is the sheriff. Yeah, because I don't. I love Sting. You know I love Sting, but the man's getting old. And I feel like if they try to make him anything more than that, we're going to see a lot of bad matches and see him get hurt because he is just not he's not as healthy as he used to be. He's just not, you know what I mean? It's it, his body's not as strong as it used to be. He can't take shots like he used to be able to. And I'm not hating on Sting, man. I love Sting. Sting was like the only reason I watched WCW back in the day, <laughs> uh, because otherwise I was a big WWF guy. Yeah, right. Um, I watched I watched WCW for Vampiro, Sting, and Raven. I mean, that was pretty much it. I didn't care about Hulk Hogan. I didn't care about NWO. Really? I was. You didn't care about the NWO? That was like I really the didn't. Most... It, I fully believe that the NWO is a big part of the reason that WCW failed. Hear me out here. I'm listening. WCW put all their eggs in one basket. They put all their money into an NWO. They put all their backing, all their storylines were based on the NWO. You had Sting going against the NWO. You had... Everything was backing against the NWO. And, and they didn't diversify, they didn't bring up other stars, they put all their eggs in one basket, and because of that, they failed.
1: Yeah, I think. well I think what happened was, the NWO started becoming more popular with the fans, because fans were going through the phase of, they love the cool heels. So when that started happening, I think that's why they gravitated more to that, because it was like, okay, the fans seem to love this more, so let's put the focus there. That's kind of what the business but they model did it
2: is. too much.
1: I agree with that. I'm just saying that was where the mindset was because there was a lot of moments in there. I mean, there were some moments that were good and bad with the NWO. I'm not gonna say they were perfect, but in the beginning it was perfect. I remember Hogan said in an interview, I think it was with Jericho on his podcast. He said he definitely agreed there were too many guys in the NWO. And he believes that he said if we kept it like the shield, just me, Hall, and <laughs> Nash, it probably we'd probably still be in business today. See if we my kept thing it just was, the three of them.
2: My thing was as a kid, as a kid I liked two different kinds of characters. I liked your dark and edgy characters, like Sting, like The Undertaker, you know. And then I liked your flyers. I liked the, because they were exciting. As a kid, that's what I liked. I liked Jeff Hardy, and I liked The Undertaker. You know, there was no in-between. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I liked how edgy Stone Cold could be, but it wasn't the same. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, I, li- it like, I liked The Undertaker. I liked Viscera. I liked this one was cool. Yeah, I I I loved the brood. All right. Um, and now looking back and watching these matches I'm like Gangrel can't wrestle. <laughs> 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 I love Gangrel, but the man couldn't wrestle. <laughs> he, he was He, he was, was entertaining. He was entertaining. He was a great he was a great personality. He played his character phenomenally. And but the, but let's be honest anything more than a brawler he was not
1: yeah he was pretty much a brawler type character he
2: he had a gimmick and he stuck to it and it worked for him yeah he he found a way to make it work which oh, absolutely. I give him the credit for that absolutely he he as I said, that comes down to he could play the character and Yeah, that's why he was so popular and as a kid that's why i loved him because yeah. that's what was so great about the attitude era was the characters the stories were so phenomenal cuz let's be honest the matches weren't yeah and I do see your point um, with Sting,
1: so I'm not gonna dis- I'm not gonna one hundred percent disagree. So I, I definitely think you make a valid point there. I will say this though, uh, the only thing I'm concerned with with Sting is is he re- fully recovered from what happened with Seth Rollins that so long ago. Because if that if that incident with the buckle bomb hadn't happened, Sting probably could have kept working.
2: Yeah, Kind of kept going.
1: That was really what hurt him the most. Keep in mind,
2: we at the Boochcaster are not saying it was Seth Rollins' fault that Sting got injured. (laughs) Even Sting (laughs) will openly admit to this. He took the bump wrong. It was a combination of a slightly early throw. A slightly, not bad. You know, it was one of those, that's a tough move to hit right every time. And Sting didn't land it right. And he understands that he made a mistake in his old age, shit happens. Yeah. It was a bad day
1: at the office. You know, it was one of those things. But I am saying that, you know, recovering from that. Right. Absolutely. So I believe if he's recovered from that, <laughs> because also, and I mentioned before, it was like we were saying before about the about the character development and everything else. What gives Sting the advantage is that Sting knows psychology, oh, absolutely. he knows storytelling, and he knows how to work. If you know that, you can, when you have like that type of veteran experience that Sting has- as long as you got somebody in the ring that is willing to listen, willing to cooperate, and willing to complement that style that Sting can do, he can make he you can have a match. They can make a match that will make the crowd go
2: crazy. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think that that he does not need to be a full time every week wrestler. Oh, wrestler? No,
1: I, I, I don't think he needs a wrestler. That's to why
2: it. I want to see him. That's why I want to see him as kind of in an enforcer position because yeah he'll have a match here or there but the main thing for him right now is to be a presence in the be a presence on screen as 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 a a, a storyline wise not so much in the ring but part of the story exactly and
1: if you are going to put him in matches and when they are put him in matches i just hope they don't make the same mistake that WWE did not gimmicky shit not just gimmicky shit but don't 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 build him up to be this to be this icon only to job him out the first time he's in the ring.
2: Yeah, I mean
1: he didn't win a single match. He, the only match he won was a tag team match with John Cena.
2: Yeah, that was it.
1: That's cuz they're protecting Cena. Exactly. And they were doing that because they were facing they were both facing Seth Rollins at Night of Champions. Cuz Sting was getting a shot at the WWE Championship and John Cena was getting a rematch for the United States Championship
2: that he lost at SummerSlam. So that's what they were building to that. But now I will say I still love it, man. That counter out of the fucking Scorpion Deathlock was fucking gorgeous.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. And I will. But so and I and I know that this is another thing that I don't know. I think you and I might have discussed this or somebody else discussed it with me. But um, I, I, I'm not saying this needs to happen immediately. But if you're gonna if you're gonna give Sting a full time. Multi-year contract. At some point, I th- I, I will put the world title on him. Not immediately, because right now, Kenny. Right now, I mean, I'll go ahead, jump ahead here. But right now, there's been with what happens in the main event. He should not be champion right now. Oh no. If the if the finish of that main event was different, it gone a different way. I would say Revolution put the belt on Sting. Revolution, but because there was a title, because there was a, the finish went the way it did. I'm trying not to jump ahead here, but I might have fucked that up. I don't care. Um, but because of what went down in the finish, I will say, hold off on that. I would if like- you got multi-year <clears throat> at some point, put the belt on him, if for no other reason than to put legacy and star power behind your championship. <laughs> I and- would like
2: to see the TNT title on him. Absolutely. Not to. Even more so than I would like to see him with the world title. And here's why. Because when he left wCW being the last the last soldier standing in WCW that he was in TN he was on TNT and now he's back on TNT I want to see him say look this is my this is my station this is my company this is my title the TNT championship and it
1: would make sense because he did Stare at Darby Allen for quite a while, and Darby Allen did did look a little nervous.
2: So that would be a good way to build that up. I think and it's like it wouldn't even have to be a heel versus face match at that point. It could literally just be Sting saying, "I want the damn title. You've got it." Yeah, you can make that work. I mean, and plus they've tried Sting as a heel. It don't work. <laughs> no, they it, tried it ninety nine. You can't it didn't work. You can't. You can't make someone hate someone. It's just if they really don't want to, and nobody wants to hate Sting.
1: <laughs> There's that, and also here's here's how I feel: unless you're a damn good actor, like a damn good actor, if you're naturally not a heel, it's not gonna work unless you can really, really act. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm not, was... and I'm not saying Sting can't act, I'm just saying that when he tried to be a heel, it wasn't believable because he was too likable of a person. Like there's some people who are not like who do well as a heel cuz they're just natural dickheads and they Randy try York. to be yeah, and they try to be babyface and don't work.
2: And so you got you got people like CM Punk, for example. Now Punk was able to make a face run work, but even when he was a face, he was like an anti-hero. Yeah, he 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 wasn't able to go full babyface. He couldn't do it. You know, he he was he was face enough to throw it, to to throw it at the system that was as far as he could go yeah um and that's kind it's like so that's kind of how it is with with um sting trying to be a heel like he can go just far enough to put him against a, a bigger face
1: yeah but he can't be a true heel he can't because nobody wants to hate him and he's not easy to hate no, He's he, really not. He's a genuine good dude.
2: And his character, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, he, let's be honest. It's like the, the the point to a great heel turn. Like, for example, Roman Reigns. He went heel. What aspects of his character really changed? Not too much. All they did was make him more serious. They made it more... It's like he got tired of the disrespect. He is still being him. He's still solid. He's big on the respect. He's still big on the all the... Everything that he was big on before, he's still big on. The only thing they did was make it more extreme towards one direction. You can't do that with anything about Sting and make him a heel. You can't. It just doesn't work. So they would have to completely change him.
1: But yeah, like I said, like obviously at some point, you know, like I said, because right now currently, as far as like big legendary names, the only legend that's been a world champion right now is Jericho. You know, Mo- Moxley. is a big name, but he's not a name, legend. But he's not a legend. You know, and, you know. Kenny Michael- Omega, big name, not a legend. Exactly. So there's, yeah, so I'm saying these guys are big names, but not legends. Two of them are big names, not legends. Sting, he gets that title, has a good run. You find the right guy. And that's the key thing. I'm not saying, at some point, Sting is going to put somebody over. He is going to do a job. But when he does, it has to be the right guy for the right reason. It can't just be because, oh, I think the fans will go crazy for this. No.
2: It's got to be somebody you're realistically trying to build. You realistically want to be the man. And you really le- and you realistically want these people to hate this person. Because the second he de- beats Sting, it's just going to be Brock Lesnar and Undertaker all over again. Exactly. That's the thing. you got to have that right guy to take that. Oh, 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 oh. Special, special. I finally get to say it because Undertaker said it in the fucking interview. He didn't want Brock Lesnar to beat him. There was it did nothing for Brock Lesnar. I love that he said that. It made me feel so validated in all of my <laughs> hatred for that match.
1: <laughs> well, he didn't hate it to the level <laughs> you did. No, but he did say that he, he would he would he personally but, wouldn't have done it. Exactly. But but he said, but he that but he said that when Vince asked him about it, he's when Vince was, like he was saying, he goes are you sure this is the right way to go? And he said, yeah. And then he kind of said, well, if not Brock, then who? And Taker even said, like, well, nobody at this point, pro- current point in time, because they weren't thinking what we were thinking, like with Bray Wyatt and stuff like that. That
2: thought never entered either one of their minds. Which really breaks my heart. because, yeah. Especially now with The Fiend. Imagine if they'd have held out on him for a few more years and The Fiend debuts and they have Undert- after after Undertaker's already beaten The Fiend uh, beaten Bray Wyatt now you have Bray Wyatt come back as The Fiend and right that wrong at Wrestlemania and break the streak. Yeah. That would be nuts. That could that could work. I mean it was one of those right there it fits right on with The Fiend's character. They would have like, keep in mind that's, that's some crazy storytelling. They, the Fiend wasn't even a thought in their heads at that point.
1: It wasn't even a thought in Bray's mind at that point. He was still he still had the Wyatt family,
2: right? But but imagine if they'd have kept that alive, for for Bray Wyatt, yeah, and then he could use the Fiend to finally destroy the Undertaker, and it would be like the that would be like at that point the Fiend would still be undefeated at that point, you know, and and you have them go um, going against each other, the mind games that they play against each other, but neither one of them is backing down. And then they actually get in the ring and they have this fucking 35 minute match against each other because neither one of them will stay down. And then the fiend uh, hits a sister, hits uh sister, Abigail undertaker sits up just in time to catch the claw, puts him down one, two, three
1: man time would have stood still for that but here's the question what would the fan reaction have been do you think they would have popped do you think they would have booed maliciously I think it'd have been pretty much the same
2: as it was with Brock Lesnar utter just, just, disbelief just silence and disbelief I fool, especially because nobody would have believed that Bray Wyatt would be the guy to beat the streak nobody did Hell, and then and, the, and then afterwards it. and then afterwards Undertaker makes his day makes his ret- uh, walk uh, get uh, Undertaker gets up after the match is over... And the Fiend is kind of... Uh, this Fiend is kind of standing there. The first time you ever really see the Fiend celebrate a match. And Undertaker stands... Sits up one more time. Walks over. Looks at the Fiend. Drops to that knee. Raises his arm. Does that whole Undertaker... Like kneeling bow thing that he does. In respect... And that's the passing of the torch that you get from one supernatural monster to another. That'd be genius. I love the way that's... I, I think that would be a genius way to book it. That would have been great. If done that
1: way. Unfortunately, I don't know if anybody there would have done it that way, but that is a brilliant way to do it.
2: Yeah, it's just one of those deals where I'm sitting here like, and back then I thought that would have been the perfect, you know, passing of the torch. Even back then I saw that as a passing of the torch because of the, of the gimmicks that they had, how the similarities between the two of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But um, but imagine now with The Fiend being able to do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> the things they could have done with that. Amen. And, of course, afterwards, we catch uh,
1: Alex Marvez, who interoos, interviews interviews uh, Hikaru Shida backstage and says she is not afraid of Abaddon and says she is just a girl doing zombie cosplay. A sound startles Shida, and she asks to redo it, but Marvez tells her they are on live TV.
0: <laughs>
2: I love that moment. It's like... It's like, it's like can, can, we, can we do that? I'm like, that's a breaking of fourth wall right there. Um. <laughs> I'm like,
1: I, I just have, I just got to know one thing. Was she scripted to say that? Or did she actually say that? Because I'm I,
2: like, the, the fear and the fear that she acted in that, that had to have been predetermined. I,
1: I'm hoping. But I'm that was, hoping. if
2: not, if that was improv, dude, that's, that was good acting. If it was improv too. Oh, I know. I'm just saying. Usually, when you say "Can we redo it on live TV?" you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. So. But in this particular case, that she was trying to show, she was acting like she wasn't scared, and then she got scared at the noise, and then she said that. That's beautiful that storytelling.
1: Yeah. I like. So yeah, based on that, that makes sense because I was like, I was like, you missed that. I I didn't hear the startling noise. No, I, no, no, that's
2: what it was. there was a noise there, I didn't and hear she the saw, noise, and she got startled.
1: Well, yeah. Well, that's, well, The thing is, I was also I was watching while because there's this thing now when I watch AEW where uh, certain individuals cater uh, will blow my phone up and insist on talking to me. And people have there's some people who have still not grasped the concept of when I'm watching wrestling. Don't call me unless you absolutely have to speak to me. No, no one's grasps that concept. I think the you. best
2: part about this is. That you called me at AEW.
1: <laughs> well, I did because Sting debuted, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like I don't do that unless it's like major. But then, what that, but then I was asking you, like, you, you. But then I realized Desmond doesn't like spoilers, so I was like, "Okay, I need to hang this phone up right now, or I'm gonna spoil the
2: whole damn thing." And the reason he's saying this is because I didn't watch it live. Yeah, um, I've got the YouTube TV; it records. I watched it later. Yeah,
1: like, <laughs> I, well, I, I get crazy like that when cool shit happens. Like, I remember I called John and John was shocked because I don't, I only call him like once a week to get together for NXT and stuff. But I called him on a Wednesday when Brazongo won the tag team titles. I said because we were both big fans of theirs, so I called John. And I was like, "They're the tag team champions! Are you watching this?" Like, oh my, because I was so shocked because I've been dying to see these guys get gold around their waist because it's so great as tag team. So when they finally won the tag team championships, NXT, I was like, oh. I'm suing. It was NXT, yeah. They yeah. won the NXT title titles. Nice. They, they they they're not the champs anymore, but they had them for a decent while. Cool. Until eventually they lost them to Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch because they got help from Pat McAfee. <laughs> and um, you know, and now they're you know, now they're doing the they're getting ready for war games, which we're gonna talk about a little later, um, when John is on the show. But we had that they had that moment. So I called him up and it was crazy. But I was like, I called everybody at that point. When I saw Stane walk out, I fucking called everybody. I called Elvis, I called Gator, I called you, I called everybody. I was like,
3: Sting is all elite, Sting is all elite. Gator was
1: like, G- Elvis was like, Elvis was like, no fucking way. Zach was like, are you serious? Gator was the only one that was like, ah, crap. Because <laughs> he thinks they're going to do him dirty. I
2: don't think so. Gator's either. very anti-AEW. <laughs> well, Gator's an idiot. <laughs> I love Gator to death, but he's an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, he he is
1: very much like... I, I've already told him, like, you can't watch AEW anymore. Because every time he does, he calls me getting pissed off. And he's like, I want to throw things. Because he gets... Like, you you think I... If people think I hate Orange Cassidy, oh my god. He hates him more than I ever could.
2: and No matter... You can't explain away this stuff to, to Gator. He is so opinionated that it doesn't matter what logic you put... In, like... I can sit here and have a debate with Vinny, and Vinny will be like, "Okay, I can kind of see that. I still don't like it, but I can kind of see it." Gator can't. No, <laughs> that's the difference. It's like it's like me and Vinny. At the end of the day, we might still disagree, but he'll see my side of view. Yeah, because because yeah, because because there are times where you will make a
1: valid point. Now, if you don't, I'm gonna straight up tell you that's a stupid thing. But that doesn't happen often. Because you do make very good points, but I'm still like, you know, coming back and, and the same thing with me. I make valid points and you validate them, yeah. and then it's like it's like I see your point, but here's where we're going with it. It's like, look, your, your facts are right. My opinion's not changing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. It's like, all right, I acknowledge the facts, but my opinion stays the same. Um, we'll get to that in a moment because we got John Moxley here who says the whole world wanted to write him off a few years ago, but he bitch slapped the entire wrestling world. He says he and Omega have been destined to be foes their entire careers. He says the state couldn't be hired tonight, and there's only one thing left to do, and that is go out and make everyone go bananas.
2: Very generic promo. Yes. Um, which is weird because I haven't been saying that about him recently.
1: No. Uh, been I a while like, since I said
2: it. I feel like this was just him being like, you know what? I, I feel like he knew he was losing this... Losing tonight and he's just like he lost his interest for some reason or another, which really saddens me because he's been on a fucking roll since coming to AEW.
1: Yeah. And um, and I will say Maybe this... I'm
2: wrong, maybe there was something else there. Maybe maybe I'm missing something.
1: Yeah. But this was not his best promo. I don't know. I, I maybe he maybe he knew maybe because he knew the finish he wasn't a big fan of it. And we'll get to that in a moment because I I do have some things to say about the finish. But I will say, um, uh, that wanting to write him off a few years ago, obviously there was a lot of truth to that
0: because I'll be
1: honest after his at when he, when he, after his one run with the WWE championship, I pretty much had written him off cause I was not impressed with that run. That's why I looked at this like, okay, Mox, this is your chance. Cause I was watch I watched his run with the WWE championship I'm 100% convinced he dropped the ball. But, of course, everybody wanted to say,
3: no, man, it was the creative.
2: I I, I have to agree with the, it was creative. And here's why. I feel like the only reason that WWE even put the title on him is so that all three members of the Shield would have had the title. Yeah. And, And they just, like, we have nothing for him once he has the title, but all three of them have had the title. Yeah. But I felt, yeah, but there were times
1: where, like, some of the matches were good, some of them weren't. He was on Stone Cold's podcast. That tanked. Uh, then there was the, uh, you know, the match with Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam where nobody wanted Ambrose to win that match. And it was, it was during this, I call it the, I call it the Cena Styles show because that was the only match on there that people enjoyed.
2: Like literally every match before that and every match after that. When he went against, he went against Ziggler, what gimmick was Ziggler using at that point? I can't remember. I'm trying but, to think if that was the, uh, the... You know, it wasn't my fault kind of thing that he was running. You remember that? The It Should Be Me? Yeah, it should be me. That was when he was going against Kofi. Ah, okay. That was his feud with You're Kofi. Right.
1: Where I still maintain he should have won that
2: title. Oh, absolutely. That was the like best fucking heel gimmick that
1: he's he had. But when he was going for that title, everyone everyone wanted it to be Dolph's Knight because everyone's been mad about Ziggler not getting the championship. For years. For years. Absolutely. Now I will say he was the world champion and when he and he didn't get the belt for a period of time and I will say, in the beginning, he shot himself in the foot because he kept getting concussions over and over again. And he had to change his style. Yeah, finally, it took a few concussions, but he finally changed his style and got smart. And once he started wrestling smarter, I was one of those guys. I was like,
2: push Ziggler, push Ziggler, push Ziggler. So when Dean Ambrose won that match, everyone in Brooklyn was pissed. No one yeah, in Brooklyn was happy. It him. got to a point with got to a point with him where it's like, but it didn't matter how good his, it was like, it, he was cutting some of the best Face promos he could have possibly cut. Yeah. And then, like, oh, he's a heel now. WWE fucked him over so bad.
1: And I'm saying, I'm saying, so when Moxley finally got the title here, I looked at this. Can Dolph
2: Ziggler be all elite?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say, it would definitely loosen up his schedule a little bit. Um, I know know he also does does stand up from time to time in addition to WWE. So that would loosen up his schedule and do all of those things. But I will say, when I saw Moxley finally win the title, I said, all right. this is your chance. Now you get to prove it. Because if this time you fail, you got no one to blame. And that's the one thing I say about AEW: you fuck up, it's on you. That's the beautiful thing. Yeah, you create, can't blame Tony Khan. All create, you can't blame Creative. All their
2: Creative nothing. does is say, "Look, this is where it's headed. You do it from
0: there."
1: So I said, "So Moxley knocked it out." So Moxley knocked it out of the park. He's been knocking it out of the park as champion. So a
0: great championship run.
1: Absolutely. So he he was able to prove. Alright, maybe it was creative that fucked you over. Cause you doing great here. And that of course brings us to the main event for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The Death Rider John Moxley defends the title against the cleaner, Kenny Omega.
2: This was a beautiful match of story with as far as storytelling goes. They started out with like a gentleman's agreement. This is not a hardcore match. This is not a we are one on one wrestling. And it was back and forth, and it got to a point where Moxley was getting the lead here. And finally, Kenny Omega says, no, I'm done with this shit. Uses the microphone, cheats, and gets the win. Fucking love it. Because we finally got that full heel turn from Kenny Omega that we've been looking for and waiting for and waiting for. And they did it at the right moment. Everybody wanted to see it a couple weeks ago against Adam Page. Everybody wanted to see it.
1: When they lost the tag when belts. When he
2: lost the tag belts. But they saved it for when he took the championship. And to me, that's a much bigger turn.
1: And I will say, I like that concept. Uh, the only thing that I thought was weird was one of the things we talked about um, last week was when during the contract signing when he hit the paradigm shift on the belt. And Kenny was laying there for like a long amount of time while Moxley was cutting a very long promo, which I enjoyed. But it was like, he's like laying there for like five, six, seven, eight minutes pretty much on the floor. And we're sitting there going, okay.
2: Moxley is a rogue. It was sneak attack damage. Yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was like, it was like
1: sneak attack damage and Kenny rolled a natural one. That's how it looked laying there. Um, well,
2: technically, what would have happened was Moxley would have hit a natural twenty with sneak with sneak attack damage because uh, you don't roll to defend against.
1: Okay, good point. Uh, but uh, yeah, and that's why he's the DM. So because I
0: wouldn't have figured that shit out.
1: But so I'm seeing, watching this, and but then I'm noticing like, okay, he, you know, all of a sudden He's been
2: protecting the move. <laughs> we'll see what we do with it.
1: Yeah. Now, because at first we're thinking, like, is he going to protect the finisher? Then all of a sudden, he hits a paradigm shift. Omega kicks out. He hits a paradigm shift onto a speaker. Everybody's freaking out, thinking he's injured. Throws him back in the ring. Kenny can still move. So, in my opinion, it kind of makes that moment with the belt look
2: stupid because he's hitting him with paradigm shifts and he's still standing. it's It's like the original paradigm shift, fine. I can see kicking out of one. It wasn't on anything. But when he does it through a weapon... You know, it makes things... It's like, look, you can't keep... You keep continuity here. Exactly.
1: And then all of a And also, here's another thing about continuity. We watched an I Quit match at Full Gear. And even though Eddie Kingston ultimately said, I quit, he hit a lot... Moxie got hit with a lot of shit during that match. It was brutal. It was violent. It was crazy. One shot with a microphone, busts him open and makes him unable to
2: defend himself. It- But in all fairness, it was the one-winged angel move that's never been kicked out of that pinned him. That I will give you. But I'm just saying,
1: with all the weapons I saw this guy get hit with in a full gear match, one shot with a microphone has him bleeding and has him, like, dazed Uh, to where he can't get himself.
2: A fair (laughs) shot to the head. Let's be honest. If you get the right shot, it doesn't matter what you get hit with. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll, We'll just say he hit him right.
1: All right. And then I also found it interesting was you know the appearance of Don Callis. We should mention that he's the uh, he is the uh, executive for Impact Wrestling. Uh, he also has worked in New Japan in the past. He's also been also if
2: you you ever watch ECW, I mean back in the day. Yeah, I mean it's been a, a long fucking time. When I was a kid, but yeah. Okay,
1: do you remember the guy that was remember that faction, the Network, and there was that guy Cyrus the Virus. I remember Cyrus the Virus. He was Cyrus the virus. Uh, oh okay. yeah, he played Cyrus the virus in ECW. He was basically the guy that was part of a faction called the Network because ECW got in a network TV deal, which means they couldn't be as edgy on network TV. So they had this guy the network to be the heel to kind of come in and censor everybody and tell everybody Before WWE used right to censor. <laughs> yeah, he but yeah, only it was different. It wasn't like, you know, they were they he, they were cutting the promos and basically the crowd would boo them, but it would allow them to stay on the straight and narrow so they wouldn't get in trouble and kicked off TV. Right. But then when they would come in for the pay-per-views, they would cuss out Cyrus and say you can't fucking tell us what to do. We're on live pay-per-view, motherfucker. And all this stuff. Especially with Joel Gertner, who to me is, is, was, and forever will be one of the best talkers ever. In my opinion, ECW, he was the best talker there was. Joel Gertner. He was a manager for the Dudley Boys. And he he would say the most vulgar shit ever. And he was a he was a masterful poem guy. I remember they would he would open the pay-per-view with Joey Styles and they'd be in the ring. He's like, I'm Joey Styles. And Joe Gertner would grab the microphone. And he would say, Well, well, well. He's like, It is I, the
3: quintessential stud muffin. And he doesn't look sexy at all. <laughs> But he would say things like, you know, like, Joel, I'm in the volunteer state just like I always feared till I asked your mama for some lovin', and your mother volunteered. Gertner and he would say, like, you know, it's like, whether it's here at whether it's whether it's in Tennessee or here in Dayton, the ladies watch me and master masturbating Gertner. <laughs> and he would just, he would, I remember they did a show, um, called like a site, a computer pay-per-view, and they were on the internet. And he was like, all the ladies in the house just want me to click their mouse. Because when I'm on the internet, I make their panties sweat. And they sit at their computer while they can sit on my six-shooter. And they can surf through cyberspace. And I'll upload right in their face. And the crowd is screaming. (laughs) And then he goes, Gertner, and drops the mic. And the crowd freaking screaming. That dude, like I said, he would say the nastiest, dirtiest, most vulgar shit ever. And crowds were going nuts. And you would just see
1: Joey Styles putting his head down. (laughs) Because he's like, he's like, can't believe what Joel's going to say next. It's the equivalent to... If you watch a past ep- listen to a past episode of the Boochcast and you just hear Gator go off on shit, and I'm just in the background, and you hear me in the background going, "God help me," I'm, I'm the guy going, "We're gonna get letters." <laughs> that's me, like Joel, Joey Styles. We sitting there going, "Like okay, we gonna get letters, <laughs> we gonna get letters." It's great. Like <coughs> there's times where Joey just gives up, like he just gives up knowing that he can't control Joel Gertner. It was so great, but yeah, so that's who Don Callis is. And him and Kenny Omega have been friends for years. Right. So that's why it kind of made sense that he would come in and help uh John Moxley win the title. And here's what made this heel turn so great, though, was that after they sell after he wins the match, they're leaving the building. Tony Khan is pissed off. The entire AEW locker room is pit is pissed off at Kenny Omega. So it's not
2: like Kenny pissed off Moxley or pissed off the fans he pissed off everyone in AEW and they sold it just right and then they continued it on by saying we'll explain everything on Tuesday what?
1: they're like AEW's on a Wednesday you're like no we're going to be on Tuesday on Impact Wrestling on Axis TV and they get in the van and drive off so now we have to find out Tuesday on Impact Wrestling what happened so now that's, and apparently there's now a working partnership. And we talked about this, Elvis and I talked about this briefly on part one. Uh, we talked about the fact that it's going to be, we now know Impact Wrestling and AEW now have a working partnership where they're going to be, you know, kind of featuring talent from
2: both brands. Now, this does not mean that they're, you know, they're combining forces forever. It, it means that. Right now, they can help out a little bit, get a little something-something on the side. <laughs> exactly. Well, I look at it like this. It's, it's a partnership
1: that obviously benefits Impact Wrestling more than AEW. Absolutely. Because right now, they're on Access TV. I don't know too many people who have Access TV. Not a lot of people have been watching Impact Wrestling lately, especially since they're one of the few uh, companies that are literally doing shows with nobody in the building. WWE at least has the Thunderdome. They've had NXTs. They've now allowed people like sitting in the front row area. AEW's had, you know, people in the front row, but also had like the wrestlers in the front, but fans outside and like fans mm-hmm. in the stands, and, like social distancing. And Impact Wrestling's had nobody. It's been an empty building. They've had no fans sitting in attendance when they tape their shows. So, and apparently they taped their shows for the rest of the year are all taped. So apparently whatever Kenny's going to do they're going to they're going to basically do a pre-tape and insert that into the TV show which some fans were like and some fans are pissed about it cuz they're like so we're not going to see Kenny work a match I'm like what idiot thought Kenny was going to Impact wrestling to work a match he's going there to explain his behavior and so I thought that was genius because now you got now you're going to convince AEW fans to watch Impact wrestling but people are probably wondering how does AEW benefit from this And if you listen to part one, you already know the answer to this question, because Elvis and I figured it out. Here's where AEW benefits. They have the ability to borrow stars from Impact Wrestling to interchange their feuds so you're not seeing the same people over and over again. And it also allows them to take the best of the best from Impact and put them on this show. Because as I mentioned before, AEW has a good roster full of people. They have a lot of talented people, but they have a lot of people who suck, Joey Janela. And so they really got to, you know, flexor some of the talents. So the best part is you can take the guys who aren't doing great, send them to the impact, put them in front of that crowd, but uh, that watch, and also maybe put them in there with some veterans who will teach them how to work. Because clearly some of these guys, like I said, the AEW veterans are – being too buddy buddy so some of the impact wrestling where they can toughen some of these guys up and you know maybe hit them with a couple of potatoes. I know Jericho tried that but I don't that hasn't straightened anyone up. So maybe send somebody there. They can learn they can train they can get better. Bring in like Eric Young or some of the other big name impact stars that we mentioned. You can put them on AEW and have them fight for world titles and things like that or maybe bring the X division in. And have them do some fun stuff. And, you know, or you can have, like, a battle of the tag teams. Like, the Young Bucks against the Good Brothers. Because Gallus and Anderson are the tag champs right now in Impact Wrestling. So you can have them fight
2: the Bucks. I'm just going to say, I find it absolutely hilarious that Gallows and Anderson... Let's be honest. They had an open offer on the table for AEW. They did. And they chose to go to TNA. Or Impact Wrestling. Well,
1: yeah. Well, they had... um, Well, they made them a good offer. Like... For example, they have a po- they have this show they do called Talk Talk and Shop. It's a it's a podcast that Gallows does for a long time.
2: I mean, I get look, I, I get it. It's like oh, they, they but there's no job security in Impact Wrestling. Eh, depends who you are. There's a lot of guys. Some guys. Um, I firmly believe
1: that Impact Wrestling is going under. Well, hopefully, this partnership will change that because they've everybody's been saying they're going under, but they still manage to stay in business. You know, they just they just had to interchange a lot of management teams. I think that's been their biggest problem, because Jeff Jarrett was in charge. Jeff Jarrett was in charge of it. Then Dixie Carter was in charge of it. Then then Hogan then Hogan and Bischoff had some partnership in it. Then they went to some random company like Anthem Entertainment was part of it. Then there was a few other people with their hands in the cookie jar, and now I guess Billy Corgan was in charge of it briefly at one point. Before he went, now he's in charge of the NWA. And now I don't know who's running it.
2: Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't run Impact, so now I'm going to run
1: NWA. He's actually doing good with NWA. That's the crazy part. I think it's because Impact just had, you know, I think there was just so much uh, drama attached to it. Billy Corden couldn't really save it, you know, because that's the only problem is that they've changed management so many times that people are slowly starting to lose hope in it, and that's the problem. That's why they're trying to bring in a lot of stars. They got like Heath Slater went to Impact. You know he's there now, and yeah,
2: well, I mean Heath Slater. Okay, I, great worker, great personality, but I didn't. I don't see him um, being picked up by a bunch of other companies. So him going to Impact makes sense. He can make it. No pun intended, but he could make an impact. In yeah, impact. and then when they makes an impact there, then they bring him up and build him up. And then he could be brought to AEW oh, yeah. afterwards. Okay,
1: and speaking of that, I have to say this, because Elvis thinks I'm crazy, but I get your thoughts on this. Do you know who the current Impact World Champion is? No. Rich Swann. Cruiserweight Champion Rich Swann? Cruiserweight Champion Rich Swann is the World Champion in Impact. Good for him.
2: Okay. Man could work. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I absolutely loved him. Um... I'm disgusted with how WWE treats the cruiserweights. Yeah, because I mean, I, I understand that a lot of people don't like the cruiserweights going against big guys, but it's a matter of they have to know how to work with the big guys. Rain, yeah. Why did Rey Mysterio do so well against the big guys? Because he took that damage, but he out, he was he he all this shit was speed based. He's like, you can't hurt me if you can't touch me. Yeah, and it was structured in a way where it worked out. Like like Ray had a
1: style. The
2: person could compliment that style yeah. and make it work. Like, or he's like, I take out your legs. I take out I take out I take your size away from you and hell, that helps. Hell, he, he he had amazing matches with Kevin Nash. That's how good they were. It's like How good are you? I made Kevin Nash look like look like a wrestling god.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Like I still remember um in W C W they had Rey Mysterio when they he had the rivalry with uh Kevin Nash where they where he had to take his mask off.
2: Okay, all of a sudden real quick. In your opinion, Rey Mysterio's best feud.
1: Best feud? Ooh. That's a tough one. Uh, I will say the Kevin Nash one is one of my favorite, is my favorite is one of my favorites personally. Okay. Because and I'll tell you why, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what my favorite one is in a second. But I like the Kevin Nash one because it put Ray it, it helped Rey Mysterio get to the main event level. Before right. that, he was just a Cruiserweight guy. Because at first, when they wanted him to take the mask off, he was against it. In the beginning. But then he thought about it. And he realized that it was going to give him a chance to reach the main event level. Because he was working with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And Conan was his partner. Because the whole thing was Conan and Rey Mysterio were friends. And because Conan wouldn't let the Wolf Pack attack Rey Mysterio. Eventually Conan gets kicked out of the Wolf Pack. So him and Rey Mysterio formed a tag team. To go up against Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And they had Miss Elizabeth in their corner. Because Miss Elizabeth was in the NWO. And they basically said... That it was basically Ray Mysterio's mask versus Miss Elizabeth's hair.
3: <laughs>
1: and obviously, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall won. Ray took the mask off. And of course, they made jokes about him not looking very good. And, you know, Kevin Nash even joking, like, put it on, put it back on. It was great. But eventually, Ray was able to rise above that and eventually got him taken seriously at a main event level. And he would have never got to that level if he didn't agree to take the mask off. And because at the time the internet wasn't as strong. And also back then most peop very few people watched both brands. You were either WCW or you were WWE. Yeah, back
2: then I didn't even realize that they were separate brands. I was like you have to realize when WCW went under, I was eleven years old. Yeah. Okay. So when they were both going big and strong in the mid '90s, I was like five, six years old. Yeah. So to me, it was just like, "Ooh, another wrestling match." I like, I know this guy. Yeah. That was about as much as you got out of me. So I didn't, I didn't care what brand it was. I just, yeah. knew, I just recognized certain names.
1: Yeah, it was, it was like that for me. So I saw. So they had. Um, so when they did that, most people in WWE didn't know half those people. So when Vin, when Rey Mysterio went there in two thousand two it was easy for him to put the mask on.
3: right? Because
1: because not a lot of those guys saw him with the mask off. I did, so I knew. When I heard Rey Mysterio was coming, I sat there and went, what the hell did he put the mask back on for? That was my thought. But then I found out later that's why he did it. He had the opportunity to put it back on, and he did. Now he hasn't taken it off since. But I will say, if I look at Rey Mysterio's rivalries, I gotta say the one with Eddie was my favorite. Because... I loved, the, because the storyline, the rivalry, everything, the, Dom, the Dominic being involved like as a kid. The ladder match they had in 2005 at SummerSlam was great. There's a moment that Vin, that I just found out they cut out of the pay-per-view, which I think is hilarious. But it's a p- moment where Eddie Guerrero is yelling, screaming, and cussing because Vicky Guerrero missed her spot.
3: Oh, God.
1: Yeah. There's a moment in the ladder match where Eddie... It, it happens later on. But it was supposed to be where, Ed, where they were climbing the ladder and Vicky was supposed to push the ladder over. That's the moment where she decides that enough is enough with this dominant crap.
3: Right.
1: Well, apparently, it didn't happen. So, uh, Ray's climbing up. He's grabbing the belt. And, like, Eddie has to... Or no, no. Eddie's up there. Gra- so, Eddie has to grab the briefcase because Vicky's not there to push him over. So eventually Ray has to get up, push the ladder, push the ladder over Eddie Guerrero still dangling from the is dangling up there with the briefcase. Ray grabs Eddie's foot, like pulls him, and he's got to pull him down. And he lands awkwardly. Thankfully he didn't break anything. But if you look real closely, someone found this on YouTube, but it's not on the network anymore. But you hear you actually hear Eddie Guerrero screaming at the referee outside, "Where the fuck was Vicky?" God damn it, he's pissed. Because he looks—he he just looks stupid on pay-per-view. So eventually somebody had to go find Vicky. They do a bunch of other stuff. They redo the spot again. Vicky comes out, pushes the ladder over. Ray climbs up, grabs the custody papers. Because that was in the, the, the briefcase. Custody of Dominic. Because Eddie Guerrero was supposed to be the biological father of Dominic. And that's why I pitched the idea. And I think this would be genius. If at some point down the road, they wanted to turn Dominic Heel, have him turn on Ray, and, sa- and talk about Eddie being his biological father. Maybe change his name to Dominic Guerrero, and have him do that storyline. Like, you you lied to me when I was a kid about who my dad really was, and all that.
2: I mean, I, think- I absolutely agree with you on turning Dominic heel. That would be the perfect way to have him turn on Eddie. I mean, on, uh, on Ray. But uh, that Ed, the Eddie feud was my second favorite feud. Okay, with Ray. All right, I'm sorry. JBL, really? I love the feud with JBL. I love I I firmly one because of how how well JBL sold the feud. Like he truly got emotionally invested in like the bullying, the how well he played it off. Um, I love. The way that Ed, that Ray was had to break him down, it wasn't it wasn't like big show size, but it was big enough to make a make a deal about it. Um, to me, that was his best, especially in the way of the David versus Goliath rivalries. I believe that that was by far his best, and, and I believe those two had such great chemistry together. Um, and um, a lot of people were like. Well, I mean, whether you like JBL or not, I mean, those two work so well together yeah. to put on some quality matches, and the, I felt like there was a lot of great emotion between them. Okay, I can see
1: that. That's very interesting.
2: Um, and of course, um, so as we mentioned before,
1: um, we're gonna we're, we're apparently Tuesday on Impact Wrestling, is where we're gonna find out everything. So the way I see it, the variety of things can happen. We'd either watch Impact Wrestling to figure out what happens. Two we get it off the impact wrestling YouTube channel or three you find out on aew when they replay it like some either either way there's a way to check this out but that's if, if you're gonna form a partnership between them that's the best way to do it so people can get the explanation it's like you got to go to impact to get it
2: absolutely I mean i I firmly believe it's gonna end up on the aew YouTube channel. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no way. If you're gonna have a working partnership, you're gonna share material.
1: Yeah, they they're gonna do something. But either way, it's uh it's gonna be great. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this uh, recap of AEW. But of course, before we officially wrap up, we have to get to uh, the ranking system here. Which I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little. Uh, there's a little bit some weird stuff has not been updated yet. So here's the AEW rankings as of Wednesday, December second, twenty twenty. For some reason, they still have John Moxley labeled as the AEW world champion, even though Kenny Omega just won. Uh, so I'm going to try to adjust as best I can. Uh, so technically, the world champion is Kenny Omega, who's now at 8-0. Uh, the TNT champion is Darby Allin. Uh, they have the number one contender list as Kenny Omega. Obviously, he just won the title. So that means right now, the number one contender would be
2: MJF. Number two would be Cody Rhodes. Would well, With his record, what it is would Moxley not be number 1 contender?
1: I don't know. I mean, he did just Cuz he
2: has he's only lost one match since joining AEW. One singles match. That is true. So ranking-wise, he should be number 1. Yeah. I guess I and mean, then he did
1: just lose the title, but then again, they did that with FTR. So Moxley would probably go to number 1, MJF would be number 2, Cody Rhodes is number 3, Brian Cage is number 4, Ricky Starks is number 5 as we mentioned before, MJF has a record of 10-1. Cody Rhodes is 20 wins, 3 losses, 1 draw. Brian Cage is 11-1. Ricky Starks is 15-2. And And then we have the women's rankings. We have Hikaru Ushida, the women's champion, at 21-1. We have uh, number one contender Big Swole at 13-4. We have Nyla Rose at 12-3. We have Serena Deeb at 4-2. Penelope Ford is 11-5. And And Abaddon is 5-1. And then we have the tag team rankings, the current tag team champions, the young bucks at eleven and three. No more contenders are right now FTR at twelve and one. Number two is the best friends at nineteen and seven. Number three is the Jurassic Express at fourteen and five. The Natural Nightmares at nine and two. And the Dark Order, uh Evil Uno and Stu Grayson at fourteen and two. And those are the rankings right now for
2: AEW. Not a whole lot of surprises here. I mean, it's been the same basic people um, from previous weeks. Rankings uh, have not changed a whole lot. Uh, it is weird that they have not updated the champion. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Hopefully, uh, the
1: next rankings, they will uh, update that. But of course, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that will officially wrap up this uh, recap of A.W. Desmond, of course, as always, I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, join me on the show. Now, next week um, for this part two, we're going to be doing a slight little change to it. Um, As I mentioned before, uh, or I mentioned this on part one, uh, I do have uh, a major gig taking place uh, this coming Saturday. So uh, basically what we're going to be doing is I'm going to have Elvis will be returning to AEW and he'll be teaming up with Desmond and they're going to be taking care of the AEW recap. John and Rianne are going to team up. They're going to take care of NXT, and we're going to put that together and get that out there for you guys. While I work the Christmas party, so Desmond and I look forward next week to seeing uh, how you and Elvis gel in this scenario.
0: Oh, um,
2: Elvis and I have plenty of experience running the Boochcast.
1: <laughs> That's why I believe we'll be in good hands. And uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take a short break here. When we come back. John Tumlin will be here for the recap of NXT here on the Boochcast. So you guys sit tight. We shall return right after this.
0: You when so hard but All together never seen Love written In the stars and knew us forever If you don't believe That destiny The star With just one ring oh, Watch this I'll show you love That you dream of Got so much to give Watch this Don't be afraid Be amazed At all the ways That I can show you What you miss Just close Your eyes And watch this A broken heart Always leaving me crazy, but I can make those feelings disappear in no time at all. If you wanna feel the world stand still the magic of one kiss, watch this. I'll show you love like you dreamed of. I got so much to give Watch this Don't be afraid You'll be amazed In all the ways That I can show you What you miss. Just close your eyes Watch this Watch this I'll show you love You dreamed of Got so much to give Watch this Don't be afraid Be amazed In all the ways That I can Show you what you miss Just close your eyes And watch this Oh baby These.
3: Hello
1: and welcome back to the Boochcast. During the break we played the song Watch This by Clay Walker. Now obviously that was not Clay Walker singing the song. This was obviously a cover done by the one and only Mr. Desmond Dagenhart. And if you want to hear more music from Desmond you can go to his Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com slash Desmond Dagenhart. D-E-S-M-O-N-D D-A-G-E-N H-A-R-T. You can check out his music. You can check out episodes of the Boochcast are on there as well. Pretty much everything going on in the world of Desmond you can find on that page also if there is a specific song request that you have for Desmond uh, he will perform that song for you if he knows how to do it he'll put it out almost immediately if he doesn't know how to do it he'll take time. To- he'll take some time to learn the song and keep you updated through the process and eventually do a song on his Facebook page dedicated to you all you gotta do is message him on his Facebook page and of course you can always hear Desmond's music here on the Boochcast as well and of course eventually in 2020 2020- Twenty one. You can book Desmond for shows. If you want to book Desmond to perform at your event, make sure you message him on Facebook. Let him know you want him to uh, perform at your birthday, at your party, whatever you want. Desmond can break out a guitar and perform like no other. So make sure you guys go to Facebook.com slash Desmond Dagenhart, D-E-S-M-O-N-D-D-A-G-E-N-H-A-R-T. Hit the like button and support the music of Desmond Dagenhart. And that was Watch This by Clay Walker, covered by Desmond Dagenhart, here on the Boochcast. All right. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the recap of NXT. And of course, once again, joining me here on the Boochcast, he is the NXT correspondent. Great friend of mine. Great mind for wrestling. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back, the one, the only, Mr. John Tumblin.
4: Vinny, Vinny, ladies and gentlemen, as always. I oh, thank you so much for having me back. Vinny, how are we doing this week, man?
1: We're doing good, man. Just uh it's been a bit of a work week, just trying to get everything uh finalized and um now I'm just getting ready for the uh the Christmas party I got this weekend that I'm performing at. That's mostly where my head's at right now.
4: Oh, well, you know, I mean, but it's always good to be in that kind of headspace, you know what I mean? Cuz uh the harder you work, the better it'll co- turn out.
1: Absolutely. So it's, it's 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 one of those rare moments where I got a lot of work, but it's not work that I'm like complaining about. It's more about having to. it's more about getting it all done than actually having to do it. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah.
4: No, it absolutely makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, NXT, ladies and gentlemen, uh, once again at the Capitol Wrestling Center. And now this one uh, started off on a bit of a bit of a somber note. Um, as you guys know, we see the entire NXT roster assembled on the stage. Uh, a lot of them, everybody's, uh, got very emotional, very focused, very, uh, some people are just bowing their heads. Some people are legit upset because we recently, uh, had the passing of WWE Hall of Famer Pat Patterson. And obviously they were paying tribute to, uh, Pat Patterson who, for those of you who may not know, is, uh, you know, one of the most legendary pro wrestlers in the world He was known for being the first ever Intercontinental Champion in WWE history. He was the first ever Intercontinental Champion. He was also the man who created the Royal Rumble. So for those of you that are fans of the actual Royal Rumble match... Pat Patterson was the one who created it, and when he was on the creative team, he actually was the one who would book, orchestrate, and put that together. And for a period of time, uh, it was just him and Vince McMahon would literally write the show for many years until later it grew and became a publicly traded company, and then eventually more bookers and writers and other people started coming in that would write the show, but in the early days, it was just Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon, and of course, most modern wrestling fans or even Attitude Era fans, you know Pat Patterson for being the uh, one of Vince McMahon's stooges in the Attitude Era. Him and Gerald Briscoe were like uh, the kiss-ups to Vince McMahon, like the ultimate, like, you know, the, the stooges, the brown nosers, the guys that – you legit uh, loved to hate in the Attitude Era. Pat Patterson definitely played that role, but behind the scenes, he was legit Vince's right hand man and played one of the major roles in that. So obviously, we were uh, sad to hear of his passing. Um, and of course, uh, you know thoughts and prayers go out to Pat Patterson and his family and during this time. And so as we go through the tribute, everybody chants "Thank you, Pat." They do a Frank Sinatra "My Way," which uh, Pat Patterson apparently was famous for singing that in karaoke bars. So you know, it was definitely a very emotional moment. Uh, uh, John, do you have any memories of seeing Pat Patterson? Uh,
4: to be honest, uh, I I don't. Uh, he was uh, before my time, but uh, I I definitely uh, recognize when you know when they showed him in uh, his later years. That would be I know him because. He's in like various storylines or, you know, like whenever uh, whenever they're in the back, there's always, you know, one of the guys in suits standing around. It's Pat Patterson a lot, you know. And uh, but I did see on Friday Night Smackdown, they also did uh, one of these as well, which it was great to see. Um, But they they had basically some tweets showing some of the, the superstars talking about it. And um a large number of them uh basically were like saying thank you to him because of uh what he saw in them during their time in NXT. And uh I honestly did not know he was so heavily involved in NXT, but literally uh Sasha Banks, Bailey, um, and I know a few others of like the main main roster stars right now thanked him because of NXT. Yeah.
1: I yeah, I I forgot how instrumental he was because usually a lot of times when you ever you hear NXT guys talk about uh their careers they usually they they often talk to dusty they talk about dusty Rhodes more than anything so to hear that pat patterson was also backstage and very helpful uh, shows that uh it shows that they had a lot of faith in nxt and also that triple h uh knew how to pick the right people to help influence the talent
4: yeah i mean and it's just you're not gonna I mean, you're not ever gonna replace him, like his knowledge and uh, thoughts and prayers, man. It really sucks.
1: Absolutely. And on that note, we cut we cut to uh, Johnny Gargano, uh, who is now on commentary for the next match, and we have ourselves our first official match of the evening, which is a tag team match. We have Damian Priest and Leon Ruff versus Santos Escobar and Raul Mendoza.
4: So I'll tell you what. Um I did not expect this match to to be very good because like it's the go home show they don't have you know they have a match planned for takeover so I I didn't think we necessarily needed this to happen but I'll tell you what this was a damn good TV match and it leads perfectly well into into tonight's go home show because it, at the same time, it sort of you get to see Leon Ruff, and I think in exactly the way you're going to see him at Takeover, getting the crap kicked out of him for most of the <laughs> match. Um, but but even then, you got to see Damian Priest like in good fighting form, and I just think it was a really good way to build up uh, some momentum going into Takeover.
1: Yeah, and what I thought was very helpful was the fact that you know even though Damian Priest is obviously involved in this triple threat match. He's still technically a baby face. So I like the fact that he, at least for this match was able to coexist with Leon Ruff and that we didn't see too much uh, problems between the two of them. It was mostly just Johnny on the mic uh, insulting both of them, which I will say, uh, I actually I actually liked Johnny on commentary. Like he really has the ability to be like very annoying. But it fits the gimmick. So I kind of liked that. Like he's like, I hate that stupid arrow thing that he does. And I just thought it I thought it was very well done.
4: Uh it was fantastic. Like, I hate to admit that because Johnny, you know, cause Johnny Gargano, he we all know how we all feel about him. He's good, he's bad. Um, but at the same time, he he actually was kind of entertaining. I mean, obviously he was a heel commentator, but even as like guest commentary all of those stupid little quips, it it really was good.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just very well done. Great tag team match as well. And it definitely set up the triple threat match. And then, of course, uh, after that, we cut to uh, they show footage of Pete Dunne winning the ladder match for the War Games Advantage. Next, a video play showing Shotzi Blackheart welding something when Rhea Ripley and Ember Moon present something to her. Blackheart looks at it and says she's in love and she's ready to go to war.
4: I thought it was really clever. Like uh the old I thought it was clever but at the same time lazy because this is how they uh this is how you get the women or like the face women's team is like this. So what Shotzi would just ragtag put a team together because they're helping to rebuild their tank and plus somebody else, I don't know. It was It seemed lazy, but I don't know, because Shotzi, I don't know, cute at the same time. I have no idea how I feel about it. Shotzi is just awesome.
1: Yes. I think in a way it kind of made sense because, let's be honest, we kind of knew who her team was going to be. It just wasn't official yet. Yeah, I agree. Like we knew, like you knew when uh, Candace LeRae and her team started attacking everybody, you you knew eventually. Okay, we know Ember Moon's gonna be in this. We know Rhea Ripley is about to be in this. We just don't know who the fourth person is, and that's kind of what they established here. That we got she has we got three people on the babyface team. We don't know who the fourth person is, but now they're helping her go to war and taking care of all of this. So it actually made sense for that particular segment. And because we now know the significance of the tank, it works. Like the fact that they, once they explain the emotional value of the tank, the tank can now no longer do any wrong for Shotzi Blackheart.
4: No, absolutely. And I think it's really, really cool that Candice the was the one who ran it. Well, Okay tried to run it over (laughs) uh, and and eventually did. But uh, I think it's cool that like this story is going to end with her at takeover, hopefully coming out on, on a brand new tank.
1: Absolutely. And then of course we have, uh, we see the video package of the undisputed eras preparation for war games, which is basically sitting in the back of a restaurant in fancy suits. I don't know. This felt weird to me.
4: It did. And uh, Pat McAfee does a really good job later on in the night. Uh, making uh, uh appropriate a uh, fun of this the the not undisputed era level video.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. So I think we'll we'll wait till we get to that and talk more about this because if we go into too much detail, we might step over that. So next we cut to uh we see uh Candace's team uh backstage with Mackenzie Mitchell. Larae Lass and Shotzi Blackheart still doesn't have a team. Uh Indy took a bullet for her and she still has a stacked team. Gonzalez says after tonight shotzi will feel like she got hit by a tank
4: huh, 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 huh. that's clever
1: yeah and it's like she still doesn't have a team I'm like um we just saw the team uh we're just,
4: yeah we're, at this point we're missing one member but saying she doesn't have a team is ridiculous
1: yeah it's you could say like she's still one woman short that would you could say a full team but it's like we you're acting like she's going out there all by herself and we literally just saw two people with her. So that I felt like that was a that promo was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. Um, I, I don't know if this falls into the category. No, I, I don't think this falls into the category of if we can call it that, but I'll let John decide on this one. Uh, Austin Gray versus Cameron Grimes.
4: Ooh. Um- Rhiannon and I, when we watched this episode of NXT, she specifically said, if you can call it that. Oh. So if that's what Rhiannon said, uh, no, I'm not going to call it a match. This was a uh, uh, this was a great way to get the audience back in the corner of uh camera And <laughs> it's like, seriously, he's awesome. And I wish I wish he was in the match for the North American championship. But at least I will take him being on a takeover.
1: Yeah, and I loved it because he he basically, like, you know, they have this match, and then eventually, uh, I will say, Cameron Grimes really showed that he can be a badass in this match. Like, granted, like, we know he can be funny and goofy, and he does the whole, Cameron Grimes to the moon! And you're just like, okay, this is weird. But when he gets in the ring, he can kick some ass. And that's what I loved about this match. It reminded us that Cameron Grimes can wrestle, he can fight, and you should take him seriously when you step in the ring with him, regardless of how goofy he is. So I thought that it, it served that purpose.
4: Oh, and 100%. But the like the great thing about Cameron Grimes, or at least I believe like the people who like truly like him, we didn't need this match to be excited to see him at TakeOver, but it surely did help. Yeah,
1: and of course, after this, uh, Cameron Grimes... Uh, takes, pulls a le- puts the leather strap around Gray's wrist, clotheslines him, starts whipping him with the belt, starts talking trash. All of a sudden, he rolls out of the Austin Gray rolls out of the ring. Cameron Grimes is celebrating. All of a sudden, Dexter Loomis appears, uh, takes Grimes down. Loomis whips Grimes, whip, whips Grimes with the belt, but then Grimes quickly escapes.
4: This was such a good way to build this match that they're about to have at TakeOver because you get just enough to be interested. But it, I don't know, this was just the perfect, the perfect go home angle to get us into war games here, but still get me excited about it.
1: Absolutely. And it worked because uh, just the delivery of everybody and what you can expect and everything else. Um my only thing is based on the last strat match that Dexter Loomis was involved in, I got I got a very strong feeling this is gonna be a pinfall or submission strat match and that's the only thing that's emotionally taking me out of it.
3: Uh, Vinny,
4: I've uh, I've decided something in my head just now. Okay. That I uh you in this whole uh modern era strat match rule. Yeah. You're you're kinda you're kinda like Get off my lawn level here,
0: Vinny.
4: <laughs> you're 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 real close to just uh curmudging old wrestle like wrestling watcher. That's not how we did it in my day. You know you, you, do you see what I mean? You're you just I I can't take it, man. Just just accept that these are the new rules to a strap match.
1: I, I alright. All right, all right. I'll I'll check the ego at the door. And on that note, we cut to the next match of the evening. Um, We have Jake Atlas versus Tony Nese. I'll
4: tell you, I did not think these guys were going to get, like, a full match. But at the same time, uh, I have a new level of respect for Tony Nese. I have now figured out, discovered, he comes down from 205 Live to put the guy over, basically, who's next. Because Jake Atlas was in that stupid feud where he got the crap kicked out of him over and over and over. He needed a rebound. And the perfect guy to do that is Tony Neese. Because Vinny, I paid real attention, real close attention to commentary. The commentators put over Tony Nice so hard. Uh former um former Cruiserweight champion. This uh entering in so many Royal Rumbles. Like they hardcore put him over in Jake Atlas one. Just really, really good on like on commentary for here. Just Well planned for him.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Although, I got to admit, when I heard the commentators say that Jake Atlas was dedicating this match to Pat Patterson, I automatically knew he was going to win. Yeah. That was like an automatic, he's not losing this match. Even though there was a moment where they showed the yellow Hummer pulling up with Pat McAfee and the Kings of NXT, as they call themselves, coming out and entering the building. I'm like, oh, crap. Are they going to break up this match? But then I remember they dedicated this to Pat Patterson. I knew right away Jake Atlas was winning this match. That's just how I knew. But I I did not expect it to be exciting, and it was. So I will say that. Oh, was, yeah. The excitement I didn't expect, but I knew Jake at the end was getting his hand raised because there's no way they would have somebody dedicate a match to Pat Patterson and then lose. That, that just wouldn't make sense.
4: I mean, that might be
1: uh, the analyst in you because
4: – I didn't think about it that way. I just thought it was a really damn good match.
1: Oh, and it definitely was. And on that note, uh, we cut. We see uh, Pat McAfee and the Kings of NXT coming out to the ring. Uh, McAfee tells Vic Joseph to shut up and tells him he sucks. Oh, my dude, I loved that. Could I, do- <laughs> I laughed
4: so hard. He immediately gets in the ring. That's the first thing he says, Vinny. <laughs>
1: and I loved it because here's the thing. Technically, when you're in the building, you can't hear the commentators. Only we can hear them at home. But because Pat watches the show, he knows Vic's, Vic is talking at the table. So he instantly shuts him up. I thought that was very, very brilliant of that. And then next, McAfee calls attention to Pat Patterson's passing and mentions he has the utmost respect for him. But McAfee says he has no respect for internet for the rest for the internet wrestling community and the Undisputed era. McAfee talks about how lame the Undisputed era's video was earlier tonight. McAfee thinks it was pathetic. You know they were basically um, you know sitting in the back of a restaurant because the waiter was embarrassed they were there and they were wearing these cheap rental suits and you know trying to reminisce about how good they had it or whatever. And he says. This team in the ring was put together by money. But you have to invest to have a great team. More money than the fans will ever see made this team. They have run this place since they got here. This Sunday at War Games, it's about Pete Dunne, the longest reigning UK champion of all time. Dunne has ended careers just a week ago with the help of a masked man who was not McAfee, but McAfee assumes the guy was probably good-looking under the mask. Uh, beat Kyle O'Reilly in a ladder match to win them the advantage in War Games. This Sunday at War Games is another main event for the Undisputed Era. It's about two main eventers and Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan finally getting a chance. They won't squander a single second. They have no fear of the Undisputed Era. To the fans All right.
4: All, uh, di- oh, dude, he was getting me so good here, Vinny. I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you. He, he was getting me so good, man.
1: He said, to the fans at home, while they're sitting in their mom's homes, uh, McAfee wants them to feel every kick, punch, and slam into the steel cage they give to the Undisputed Era. When you tune in to the WWE Network, they'll want to see Pat McAfee get it, but they're going to be disappointed. They broke the Undisputed Era's spirit last week. Pete Dunne says this Sunday, they will end the Undisputed Era. McAfee says that isn't undisputed. It's a promise. They're the greatest and the fans all suck.
4: I'll tell you what, Vinny. Uh, so first off, let me start. Uh, uh he, he was a hundred percent correct when he said the undisputed era video was stupid. It, uh, it didn't make any sense. It, it was just so, uh, not something, a word I would normally use, but it was just so freaking lame for the undisputed era. Like, It just, it didn't make any sense. It was confusing. And every word, every word out of Pat McAfee's mouth is just gold, man. NXT did something really right here by getting him on the show, putting a mic in his hand. And I really hope it's paying off in viewership because I did see um, NXT did not beat AEW this week, but it got really, really close. And for for a main for a main TV network show for NXT even to get close is really good.
1: Well, the week before they the week before that they did win NXT did win it was uh, NXT had seven hundred and twelve thousand and AEW had seven hundred and ten so by like by like by like yeah so our seven hundred it was like it was close but in the end NXT did win that week. This week AEW did win, but like you said, it was very close. So it was. So the viewership is definitely helping with Pat McAfee. He is definitely bringing in uh, big time ratings. These guys are doing very very well, and every week this guy cuts a phenomenal promo. I mean, this guy is Pat McAfee is showing that he is taking this seriously and that he could actually he could have a future. If this guy really wanted to be a professional wrestler, he could do it. This guy could legit. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I would, I'm being honest. Like, I would, I am the type of guy that would buy a ticket to see Pat McAfee. I would buy a ticket. I would pay money to see him in a match. And at some point when they're, when after this, if they're done, when they're done with the Undisputed Era, if Pat McAfee can move into another rivalry, I would love to see it. I would love to see him, you know, obviously they took out, they took out Brizongo and they took out uh Killian Dane and Drake Maverick at some point I love to see the 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 four of them feud with those guys I think would be great down the road cuz that would be um it w- it, w- it would be a continuity with storylines it would give them more to do and that's why I feel like this four man team is the future of NXT
4: That's bold Vinny but as I think uh, foreshadowing to take over here uh, I believe Pat McAfee is uh, going to get uh, put over real hard by the, the Undisputed Era, and I believe Undisputed Era will be on Raw or SmackDown really soon.
1: Yeah. We'll find out. And uh, on that note, uh, we cut to uh, – we see a video showcasing Bo and Zia Lee taking orders from this random guy. He gets them to continually dunk their heads underwater. Lee is in tears, and then they they get hit in the back with kendo sticks.
4: All right, this was – are they torturing themselves, or do we think it's okay because he wasn't forcing them to do it? They chose to do it that way. It it was strange, dude, real strange.
1: Yeah, it's some kind of – I think it's some kind of, like, Chinese custom thing. You know, they they brought dishonor, so now they're being punished, and because they're raised in that culture, they believe – they deserve to be punished for their dishonor. It's very very weird. Um and I and the only, and the only thing I'm even basing this on is going to sound really really weird, but uh earlier today and by today, I mean at the time that we're taping this, I was at Desmond's house and he somehow convinced me to watch the live action Mulan, which I did not want to watch at first.
4: Oh, yeah, I I have no desire to watch that because the original's perfection, but continue.
1: But they talked a lot about about uh dishonor and that stuff like dishonoring family dishonoring um you know you know your platoon or whatever because as we know Mulan the story she pretends to be a guy and joins the army cuz she doesn't want her dad to get killed cuz he's old and you know not able to really fight anymore but he was going to go anyway and it talks about like you know honor and everything about you know you know, like, and like, you know, it's the man's duty to protect, it's the girl's duty to do this and all that. And it's that again, it's Chinese culture. Um, so when I was watching that, it kind of made me th- and, then I, and then I and then I remember seeing this, I was kind of like, okay, maybe that's the issue. They probably think we brought dishonor. So now we deserve to be punished. So that's why they're kind of they're, 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 they're telling them to do it but they're voluntarily doing it themselves. No one's grabbing them by the back of their head and forcing them underwater. They're doing it to themselves, but they're being told to because they feel like I deserve to be punished. So it's some kind of sick, twisted mind game.
4: It's weird, dude, but uh, I, I guess it makes sense. I really just want to know who this mysterious female is going to be.
1: I do too. And um, apparently, um, the uh, we were talking about this last week, uh, the, the Chinese guy I was thinking about was apparently... I think his name was Ho Ho Lin or something. I think was the guy whose name I couldn't remember. Um, I
4: I have no idea, man.
1: But yeah, but to my knowledge, there, with the exception of Zia Lee, there hasn't been any other uh, female Chinese wrestlers in WWE. It's all been Japanese. So unless they unless they found a Chinese female wrestler from another from an indie show or something, I don't know who this is. So that's I was just trying to remember that that was the person whose name I couldn't remember. I thought it was Kota Ibushi, but it turns out he's Japanese, which I feel bad for not knowing that. That's all right, man. It happens. Yeah, it's an honest mistake. <laughs> um, but on that note, uh, we move on uh, to what was supposed to be the next match of the evening. We are definitely not going to call it that. Uh, we had Ever-Rise versus the Grizzle Young Veterans, which... <laughs> that yeah. Match, that match even, did that match even start? Did they get any offense at all?
4: Uh, No. No, they didn't. <laughs> it was... Uh, it... But, but I tell you what uh, this was a damn good way just to book yourself like they said it on commentary but I was like, yeah I mean sure yeah that really does work come down and kick the crap out of the guys who are supposed to be uh, in a match you, you can take their spot
1: yeah and they basically said that they are here to put the grizzled young veterans in their place and this of course Imperium was the one to attack them uh, they attack everize get rid of them dare the grizzle young veterans to get in the ring and now we have the next match. Uh, the Grizzled Young Veterans uh, versus Imperium. Okay. Um,
4: I got real excited for this match because, number one, the limited run of NXT UK that I've watched, um, I have seen a lot of Grizzled Young Veterans in Imperium, and I was not disappointed in this match. This was a really, really good tag team TV match. I mean, just just solid, solid stuff here. And uh, I can't wait to actually see these guys in a nice little feud and eventually, uh, maybe go for the tag belts.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I definitely felt like this was a match that these guys threw everything but the kitchen sink at each other. And of course, the match ends in a no contest because Everize attacks imp- attacks both teams, which
4: perfect, by the way, perfect.
1: Oh you, you, thought, you, you like this?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, because I thought it was weird. Because I'm like, okay, they they ever rise has basically been a jobber tag team. They have pretty much not done anything with these guys. So for them to come out and attack Imperium and the Grizzled Young Veterans made no sense. Because why even do that if there's very little to no chance they're gonna get a push?
4: Um, my thing is I. I think this was perfect because I don't think they want to give a clean win to the grizzled young veterans or Imperium yet over each other. I think they need they need to keep this going. This was a plate spinning finish. They're 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 going to spin a plate and they're going to revisit this. Don't look into it that much. That's truly what I feel.
1: Okay, that could work because I know um I know next month we got the Royal Rumble, but I don't know if they're going to do a takeover that early or not. Um, we also know that um they've they've also have been known to do takeovers in February especially if they're standalone takeovers they've done that before and of course there's the possibility of a takeover WrestleMania weekend so depending on when the closest takeover is maybe they could build the match to that maybe have these guys do you think do you think do you think this is a rivalry that would be worth dragging out to a takeover oh a hundred percent yeah because that's, of course, the key thing. Because I want to know, like... Because I, I feel like that could... Imperium and the Grizzly on Veterans could definitely be a takeover match.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've seen these guys have a match on NXT UK. And honestly, a lot like AEW, the best thing going for NXT UK, other than um Walter, is their tag team division. And having these guys essentially just NXT UK tag teams just over here, it's really good and... Any one of these two teams can be tag team champion. I think Imperium needs to have an actual shot at it, not just like the transitional champions that they were.
1: Absolutely. And on that note, we cut to, uh, we have Timothy Thatcher warming up back backstage. We got the Thatch's Thatch Can is next. Also, Everrise quickly gets out of the building, shouting how they rule. And... At-
4: <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous dude <laughs>
1: this is stupid was so it's stupid. so
4: stupid but it
1: it was funny <laughs> yeah uh, i guess we we could i i, I admit i could have used the laugh right there um because then of course we move on to the next moment here we have the uh Thatcher's thatch can training session. Timothy Thatcher talks about the strategy of distraction. Tonight he and his student will show how to deal with distraction. Tomasa Champa gets in the ring and stands in front of the student. Thatcher isn't happy. Champa says he's here to teach. Thatcher says he has no problem with Champa and goes to leave. Champa calls him a disappointment. Thatcher knocks Champa is trying to goad him. Uh, Thatcher then takes him down, but Ciampa soon's late, late, soon lays him out with a big elbow. The student attacks Ciampa from behind, and Thatcher joins in. They double-team Ciampa. Thatcher knees away at Ciampa's ribs. They brawl out of the ring. Thatcher drives him into the barricade twice. Thatcher gets him in the ring and applies a front face lock, then puts his forearm under Champa's skin and puts him to sleep. Thatcher stands tall over Champa before leaving the ring. So, I... Uh... I was a little
4: torn on this because I did not like, even though I don't care about Timothy Thatcher, I don't like how they sort of portrayed him as being completely cool with just walking out of the ring. Like, I don't want any, like, I don't I don't have a, any beef with you. And then turn around and out-heel Ciampa, who is being a heel. This is confusing. And it, it doesn't help that I don't like Timothy Thatcher. So th- I just want Ciampa to whoop the crap out of him and be done with this.
1: Yeah, well, from the looks of things, it, it they it appears that they're going to be facing off at take at Takeover War Games. They're gonna have a match. Uh, but I think the thing here is Champa. I don't know what's going on with him anymore. Cause it's like it's like he was he came back, he was a heel. Then he starts talking about, uh, no one being hungry enough now wants to go after Timothy Thatcher. You know Thatcher's doing the right heel thing because he's saying like, look, I got no problem with you. I don't want to fight you. Why would I want to fight you? I'm not getting into a fight. But then Champa, of course, keeps goading him into it. So that's why Thatcher finally attacks him. And then they have this whole thing. So I kind of, I sort of, what I enjoyed about it was the fact that he got distracted and lost last week. So he tried to turn it around and use it as a lesson for his students. That was the part that I enjoyed because part of being a good teacher is. You know, showing like you know, okay, I have experience, negative and positive. Here's a mistake I made. Here's how you don't make that mistake. To me, that's a good teacher. So I kind of like how he spun that to make it work for him.
0: Uh, uh, and <laughs> I,
4: I just I don't like Timothy Thatcher, man. Uh, it's terrible, but that's just how I feel about it because he just doesn't. He doesn't do anything for me. I don't like him. I think he's a jerk. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just the worst man.
0: (laughs) I
1: I gave it my best shot.
4: (laughs) I know you did. And... I I appreciate that you did because it's really hard for me to look past Timothy Thatcher because I just don't like him.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, um, Tim, and then, of course, after this, Timothy Thatcher uh, is being interviewed backstage because Mackenzie Mitchell has to ask the obvious questions. I like her, but she has a lot of obvious questions. Uh, Timothy says he didn't know Tommaso Ciampa was going to come after him, was going to do that. He said tonight he learned about distraction. This Sunday he'll learn respect. And he walks out. So now that's when they officially announce that it will be Timothy Thatcher versus Tommaso Champa at Takeover War Games. And speaking of Takeover War Games, we move on to our main event of the evening. The latter match for War Games Advantage, the female edition, Raquel Gonzalez versus Shotzi Blackheart.
4: Okay. Vinny, first of all, let me say this match it was awesome. These two girls beat the crap out of each other. Like, legitimately beat the crap out of each other. Uh, Ladders were broken, tables were broken, and just so much respect for these two. Now, I truly believe that we obviously knew at some point this is all gonna break down, because at the end of the day, it is a ladder match. Now, all that being said, Vinny, as you very vehemently said last week, the heels win this match. Uh, so tell me, Vinny, not to spoil the finish, but the finish was the most friggin' confusing part. Uh, what is Shotzi Supposed to do for the first, uh, or, or her team supposed to do for the second five minutes. of This match, uh, I'm sorry because because Shotzi pulls the freaking briefcase down and wins. So sorry, I didn't mention that, but I mean, I mean, come on, man. I know
1: this is usually not a smart idea because, as I mentioned before, one, the reason the heels. Always get the one man advantage because back in the day, before I know it sounds again, now this is a get off my lawn scenario, but you know, back in the day when the war games was on, they would they used to decide it through a coin toss, and sometimes the coin toss was in front of the audience, sometimes they did it quote unquote backstage, and you basically nine times out of ten. The the heels were always the ones because it allowed them to get the two-on-one advantage. It allowed them to get their heat so the babyface can make the comeback when they get in the ring. So basically, the only logical thing I can think of for this is the fact that this rivalry has become so personal that I think even though they're babyfaces, they're going to take advantage of the two on one opportunity. I feel like that's where they're going with this. It's gonna be a situation where the baby faces have had enough of their bullshit that they're willing to break the rules to end this rivalry. Cause th- because, like we said before, this all became personal when Candace took out that tank. And Shotzi explained why she broke down and cried when that tank got destroyed. Cause I cause I'm not ashamed to say it. The week bef- that week that tank got destroyed, we both sat here and went, okay, this is stupid. We both agreed. That was the dumbest thing in the world watching um watching uh Shotzi cry over this tank. It was the equivalent to Perry Saturn crying when when Moppy got snapped in half in the Attitude Era. It was weird. It was like, what the hell? Why am I watching this? Then the following week, Shotzi explains why the tank was important to her. And then it was like, okay, I was it we came on here, we retracted our statements. We were like, okay, we get why this is important. Uh, the significance was fantastic it was a great explanation and we were off to the races so i feel like the bec- they're going to use that tank as their reason to justify why the baby faces can gang up on the heels it's like you've made this so personal i can't play by the rules anymore
4: okay you you took that in a totally different way than i did so okay i thought uh my, th- my, my i thought here honestly is <laughs> I think they're gonna take the one man advantage, and they're gonna finish whatever the tank is, or they're gonna finish doing something. I don't think they're gonna use the time to two on one the other team. I I think they're gonna try to get creative here, but that very easily could backfire on them.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- th- like I said, they're ba- the baby faces have one goal, and that is to try to win, not lose. That's a babyface's job. So they can, you know, if they want to do that route, they can. But th- I'm just saying, if you're going to have two babyfaces in there against one heel, you either got to find a justifiable reason to gang up or have one person just sit in the corner and watch, which is going to look weird on television.
4: It's gonna yeah, it's going to look weird. That's what I'm saying, man. Mm-hmm. They need to build something. or they, 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 need to, they need to do something while they're standing there.
1: Yeah. Because so far, like, the only thing that really got shocked in here was that during the match, we eventually found out who the fourth person is going to be for Shotzi's team, and we now know it's the NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai, because she shows up out of nowhere, and... Helps them out. So now we've established that that's the four woman team to go against Candace and her team. So we now know Io Shirai is involved in this, which you could again, you could probably tell when Team Candace dried basically picked up Eo's lifeless body and kind of dropped her the way um, the way uh, that one guy did Adam Cole. I should know his name. But I haven't seen him on TV in so long. I can't remember. He's the the rugby-playing guy. Oh, yeah. I
4: I forgot his name, too.
1: Yeah, so – and I feel bad that I did, but
4: R- – Rich Holland.
1: Rich Holland, yes. There we go. Rich Holland. There we go. Yeah, kind of like what Rich Holland did to Adam Cole. He did that to – she did that. Michael Gonzalez did that to Io Shirai. So he kind of knew EO was going to be it. Uh, now, granted, we didn't know for sure, but once she kind of showed up, you were like, eh, that makes sense. So, yeah. so now had the team established. Uh, regardless of that, it was still a great ladder match. Uh, I will say that uh, Shotzi, once again, took a lot of risks in this match. I feel She like, did. I feel like she's quite the daredevil, which I get in some cases that's great, although I don't like it when people do that. On a go-home episode. It rubs me the wrong way when I see a go-home episode before a pay-per-view. And I see people doing extreme crazy shit. Because something can go wrong. You can get injured and mess up the whole card. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen on the main roster. I've seen it happen in AEW. It's not smart to, to do that. It's really not. Especially when it's just for the advantage in the War Games match that should go to the heel naturally in the first place. So, uh, again, I love Shotzi Blackheart, but I felt like, thankfully, she was okay, and she's going to make it to War Games, so she lucked out big time, but still, there were moments in that match where it was like, you did not need to do that.
4: No, there were definitely a couple where she just, you know, uh, straight through the table that, oh, man, like, why, girl, why why you got to do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like she's she's some people say she's at the Sasha Bank level of doing too much and almost killing herself.
4: I mean, she she I I might I might have to agree with that. She's close, man. Like she took some bumps on this episode.
1: Yeah, she took some bumps and uh thankfully she's got 3 days to uh, heal up from those bumps or f- three or four days to heal up from them because uh, the pay per view is not till Sunday. So she had time to rest up beforehand.
4: I, n- I know it's going to look good. <laughs> I-, I honestly can't wait to watch. Um, and then you and I get to do a nice little recap, man.
1: Absolutely. Uh, which is why, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this will recap the. This will end the recap of NXT. And normally, this is the part of the show where. Uh, We do the nice wrap-up. We plug a lot of things and a lot of that stuff. But we are going to be doing a part three for this week. Uh, It's going to come out a tiny bit later than the rest of them, but it'll be there. Um, And we're going to be doing a recap of NXT TakeOver War Games. So John, of course, will be rejoining me for that. So what I'm going to say to you guys right now is uh, make sure you follow us on all the social media platforms, Support the show through patreon and make sure you check out it's the end almost part three
0: Call. got your trophy girls, yeah Make well, you think you're a star Yeah, it's your team bleached You like to play the rich game Yeah, you think you're a cowboy The new Jesse and James But I could get your ass I could jack your jaw Push flat in the dirt bowl Yeah, I have a ball So go ahead and act up Like a John Wayne son Things change fast I can kick your ass Try to steal my girl You better bring your big friends Another one or two you are you little too small huh, To be calling me I'm about to knock that smirky little grin Right off your face Cause yes, I can kick your ass I can jack your jaw Put your flat in the dirt, boy Yeah, I have a Head Like a John Wayne song they can change, man. And I'd have a ball. So go ahead and answer. Dr. John Wayne, son. Things could change, babe. I could kick your ass. the whole I would be glad if I kick your ass.